Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. Jeff, it's been, it's been how long years. since we saw each other in person? Man, I don't even remember. It's, it's probably been five years, Bonnie. I, it's hard to say, but we talk a lot. Yeah, but that, you know, <laughs> I think last time I saw Rich, I think I bailed him out of jail. Oh, I'm trying to think, I was I trying to think that's that actually true or not, uh, um, but no, I don't believe so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with the, with the recent problems you've been you had with coaching. Oh man, <laughs> I could go on for days about that. Don't even get me started. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's probably been the it's probably been Rich is probably the longest, but of course he's the furthest away. We we almost saw each other when you brought the kids to wrestle through Iowa about three years or four years ago. Um, but somehow that didn't end, it didn't work, we didn't cross. But it's it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a long time. Honestly, Monty, it's probably the longest for us. I had a sidekick at the time and that was like four or five years ago. <laughs> it's been that long since, yeah. since it came out? Wow. Wow, 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 okay. So Jennifer, you're the one that's kind of the most reclusive from mixed martial arts. Are you still involved at all? Are you working out or if you can officially like completely retire? I no, I'm not working out anymore. I'm I'm doing other things. Yeah, that's not true. I saw pictures of you on a hike that you know you I would be feeding crows about, you know, a mile in. <laughs> Well, no, I, I'm not doing MMA, but I am doing um, long distance hikes. Like I did a 40 mile solo hike just last week. Oh, wow. That's that's crazy. That's hard Jeff, you're, you've just <laughs> recently reopened your gym. Well, I shouldn't say reopened, but you've, you've got a new facility. I know you've got Eric Rasmussen up there teaching some of your classes. Fantastic teacher. Um, you also do cruises, jujitsu cruises. Well, I'm doing retreats. I did retreats. a jiu-jitsu cruise. I did a jiu-jitsu cruise with Pedro for called Grapplers Escape in 2016, and and everybody back home like didn't want to do it because it was so expensive, you know. And I'm like, man, I got to do something cheap, you know, cheap here in America that everybody can afford to go to. So I started doing like uh, I did a couple up north in Wisconsin, and then I did uh, I did. Uh, been in Florida the last like six, five, six years, and just uh, yeah, like a hundred and twenty to fifty guys, and everybody shows up and trains and plays for four days, and it's a great time. But, now, now, Tim, you're doing hunting now. Am I correct? Can you open up on what it is you've got going on? Yeah, I got a hunting show on the Sportsman Channel. Um, season seven is actually getting ready to air there next week, and uh, that'll go for uh. 26 weeks, and then we're currently filming season eight now, and it's on national TV. Been doing that now. I, shoot, I've been hunting my whole life, but started filming my hunts, you know, in, in Iowa, probably like in 2004 and five, and then I got my own show. I think, uh, well, I don't know, it's season seven, so probably in 15 or 16, I got my own show. So I do that, and I'm a project manager for a construction company. I've been working with a group of guys uh, for a while now. And actually, I think the last time I hung out with Jeff, I was working up there in Chicago, staying in his gym. <laughs> um, <laughs> working out of there, it was crazy. 
Yeah, I was telling a story about that the other day, and it uh, like, yeah, someone's talking about my dorms. I said, yeah, remember when Tim was here? I'm like, he's like, hey, can I? And Monty's like, you think Tim can stay? You know, he's got some work in in the town. And I said, oh, he doesn't want to rent a place. He's like, no, he wants to save some money. And then, like after like the first month, Tim's like, yeah, I did a really good month. I think it did like twenty grand or something like that. And I'm like, think I don't know if that was that was the right number, but it was some big number. I'm like, Tim. My rent's only two hundred a month. <laughs> it's funny because he's like, "Oh yeah, but you know, I can definitely afford to save that two hundred dollars a month." You had to bring in cinder blocks for my bed. Oh yeah, yeah, I know. It was, it made was it like five floor, feet right? tall, so you could just yeah. lay down on it. <laughs> I, I built my own bed frame because they were on mattresses on the floor. <laughs> you're like I don't want to have to get up from the ground. That's like no, eight that's, feet that's a long ways when you're six eight. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Tim, are you ready? Tim, are you in Maine or are you uh, still in Iowa? Fill people in on that. I'm in Iowa for the rest of my life, man. I love it here. I own a, uh, I started buying property here, and now I got a pretty good farm in southeast Iowa. Um, Sweet. You know, I had a kid, had a kid, you know, so he's 11 now, and then I got married um, last year to one of my best friends, and she's a, she's a Chicago girl, but I, I was able to get her to, to move to Iowa, thank God. Good job. So, Richard Lomeni, you've got a lot going on sales-wise as well as with your kids. you got two little savages running around. Three. Three? Yeah, there, there is no rest for the wicked in this household. Uh, um, we have a national expanding business right now, uh, Access Home Care Solutions. Um, basically, about uh, uh, 10 years ago, I guess, or so, right when I was kind of exiting MMA, my body was falling apart just – you know, lost. I really feel like it, you know my last few losses were really just uh, to my my body not functioning correctly. I'm sure everyone on this can Dang. kind of relate. <laughs> Going Dang. in like seventy percent. You know, I mean, it's just not fair. You know, but uh, um, but needless to say, I, I got into uh, uh, medical sales uh, specifically uh, in pain management. And uh, now we have a, a big distributorship. Uh, I have like thirty five employees or so. I'm um, here in Louisiana and Texas, so we stay pretty busy. Wow, wow. So do you guys still go to the local regional fights at all, or even UFC, or are all of you guys out? Jeff, why don't we start with yourself? Uh, you know, my last fight was against Rafian Stotts in 2016 or 17, I think 17. And uh, after that... I had to, you know, I continued to coach up till COVID, but then after COVID, I just told myself I'm going to be 100% jujitsu focused, and I'm just done training pros. You know, I had a handful of uh, fighters, and you know, when you're dealing with a small roster of fighters, it's hard to get the right training, and it was just like I'd already kind of missed the first so many years of my kids' lives, and they were getting older, and my they had their own sports and they wanted to train jujitsu and wrestle. And, you know, like if I was going to be there for them, I just had to make a decision. So, um, me personally, like I did three, I think I did, I don't know, six or seven jujitsu things since 2015. My last one was in 2009, 19 for fight to win. And I still plan on competing a lot, but I have to like give up the idea of fighting because like Rich said, like our bodies just can't handle it. I actually, I'm right now I'm really swollen up. I had my nose completely reconstructed on Wednesday. So it's only six days and 
Wow. It's really stuffy and, you know, it's bleeding in my, I've got blood bleeding in my throat as we speak. And it's just like something I put off far too long. And I put it off with the hopes that maybe someday I would fight again. But now that they repaired it, I'm just like, okay, that's the nail in the coffin there. But as far as fights go, I went to a, an MMA event that one of my affiliates puts on in Wisconsin. And I went there because I had a couple guys that were doing like some grappling matches and they started with grappling. And when the grappling was over, I just looked at my wife, Sarah, and I said, let's go. Like, I don't even, I couldn't even be there. I just, I don't know. I just, it's a different feel for me. It just makes me wish I could fight. It makes me, if I feel really down on myself for about my shortcomings and shit like that. So I'd just rather not be around that environment most of the time. But um, when I do like big shows and I do, I still watch all the, all the big shows and all the MMA. And I, I keep track of, you know, fighters of mine that used to fight for me that are, you know, I try to root for them and be there for them. Yeah, but, you know, at some point, I just had to focus on my general student body and, you know, building my business and making sure that, like, I can at least do jiu-jitsu till I die. Jen? Um, I, I do attend some of the local shows. When there's guys fighting that I know, I'll attend and go. I am recently started... Working, well, a couple of shows ago, I worked with the commission, so I might start doing that and just oh, kind of wow. help them with the commission. But I mainly, I haven't been on the mats. I have a herniated disc in my neck, and I've had it for a long time. I love hiking. I love putting in all the miles, and I'm not going to risk it being on the mat. It's just <laughs> too much. Like, what Tim, I what about have, yourself? Tim, what about that? yourself? Uh, and, and do I have anything to do with MMA anymore? No. Um, I watch the show. Still a fan of MMA. You know, I love it. Um, I think the last UFC event I went to was the one in Chicago. I actually took my, my now wife. We went to the last two in Chicago. There's some local shows. And I got nothing going on. I got some friends going there. I'll go and watch it. I just, I love MMA. Um, I, I can't train. My knees hurt so bad. I couldn't, I can't get on the mat. Um, I just started lifting again last year at... Um, shit, what was I? Oh, Planet Fitness, and just you know, just doing some cardio, just trying to you know get the body moving and stuff. But the Y just opened up, uh, right next, next door to us, basically about six blocks away. So I'm gonna be joining there because they got a pool and swimming was always the best workout for me. It, it's no impact and it always works the best for me. So uh, I'm gonna start doing that again. Swimming, I love it. So I, let, let so, me so, jump in here if I can. I, I want to go back to Jen for a minute. Jen, obviously at one point. You know, you're a pioneer and everything like that. You were the number one woman in the world. Like, what do you think? How, how do you think about the evolution of, of the women's side? And, like, who do you think is, like, like who do you like to watch among the women now? And, like, what, who do you think is really the best? Like, what, what impresses you? Or are you not up on that so much? I haven't really paid much attention to it. Okay. I, I really haven't. I'm glad that it has evolved. I'm glad they're making a lot more money. <laughs> I mean, I remember I was the top paid female fighter and I made five grand. Yeah. But I was, I was raising two kids and working full time and going to college part time and it just didn't, it didn't work. Something Isn't that had to crazy? Go. How life changing it could be, you know, if you were getting paid what these girls are getting paid and, wow. you know, by a few years, you were like these, uh, I remember Monty at one time going, dude, you're the second highest paid featherweight next to Uriah Faber. And I was getting paid 
eight and eight, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then like two, three years goes by and Conor McGregor gets his first million dollar payday as the ranked number one featherweight. And you're just like, fuck man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> why, why did my mom get pregnant so soon? <laughs> Could have waited a couple more years. Yeah. Yep. Oh, well, I wouldn't trade it. You know, Jeff, I, I, do you miss the do you miss the NHB days and the feel of what it used to be as compared to what it is now? Are you asking me? Or, yes. Oh, yes. I thought you said Jen. Um, yeah. I do because you know, being a jujitsu and like the original UFC is what really drew me to you know wanting to fight. And I'd been training jujitsu for about a year at that point, not even really knowing what I was involved in. And when I saw hoist fight, I was like, man. No, no rules is always the way to go. Uh, so, like my jujitsu program is very, my fundamentals is very street based, and just making sure that people understand that, like, it's not just a sport oriented program. Uh, you can get there if that's your goal, but I don't want my students going through not knowing how to defend punches and not knowing how to like weather the storm. You know, so I miss those days when anything could go wrong at any time, and people you know, take the luck or kick to your head and do whatever they might try to do to win the fight because that's was more pure but obviously more dangerous but i feel like with good jujitsu it's not so much more dangerous it's just more opportunities to have them exposed so i do miss those a lot the new rule sets are great because it could be a little more compact and organized as a sport and obviously make people a good living but it's definitely almost its own false sense of security too because you know it's like, you know, if you're if you're in a jiu-jitsu school or an MMA gym and everybody's training in rounds and you're doing five-minute rounds all the time, which is like 99% of the time here, everyone's on five-minute rounds. But, like, I get together with a few of my guys a couple days a week and I say no time limit, no, no rounds, we're doing 45 minutes to 60 minutes straight, no rest, and it's a totally different match, you know. So I, did, I definitely miss those days. Not too Rich. Out of everybody in this group, I think outside of Tim, obviously coming from Maine, you kind of traveled the furthest, right? Being in Louisiana, how do you wind up with all of these people? Yeah, so um, <laughs> that's kind of a funny story, actually. I, I think uh, Monty first brought me in to be a tomato can uh, against one of the spiders. Monty would yeah. never do that. No, right? Basically, we're like everybody on the side of side of our locker rooms being brought in in stretchers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Um, so I, I, I basically fought a kid, Ben Earwood, who's super tough, uh, college wrestler, who's really, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Monty, but like, uh, uh Matt Hughes kind of protege at the time. Uh, he was really being, yeah. Um, and, uh, um, you know, it was, I, I basically just hung in there for 15 minutes. Um, never fought a wrestler of that caliber, uh, at the time. Uh, I'm from New Jersey and I wrestled in New Jersey, but I really didn't have any training partners here in, in Louisiana and was really the pioneer in probably trying to get a, a strong MMA group together. And we had a few guys like myself and Carl Schmidt, a few just tough guys, but nobody that was really well-rounded and trained on a higher level. So at that point, I think Monty's like, oh, this guy's kind of fun to watch. He'll sit in there, you know, if I'm going to pay him to fight, he'll, he'll put on a show, win, lose, or draw. And then uh, a few uh, a few months later, I think Monty had another prospect, uh, Cedric Marks. Is that correct, Mine was his name? Uh, it wasn't really a, a prospect. That was you're talking about the show I did down in Louisiana right before, right after nine eleven. 
Correct. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I had to give that fool a ride down there. Unbeknownst to, unbeknownst to me and Tony Fricklin, we think we're bringing one of our guys, one of our boys. So we bond with the kid on the way down there, and he's fighting you. So you come out to some gay ass song, Boy George. We're like, who's this tool? Cedric, you're gonna beat this dude's ass. And you went in and you smoked this kid, Cedric. And then Monty's like, that's my guy. I'm like, which one's your guy? We brought your guy down. I wasn't Monty's Monty's guy until actually after that fight because that's when we had talked. I think want to make sure you get you and to find out we want you. Yeah. So, so Actually, Tim, the, the, the way that that worked is I did like what I saw with Rich when he came up and then going down there and doing a show in Louisiana, I needed local guys. You got to have sure, guys, that, you know, for the show. And, and so Rich was the obvious guy. And I had told people before that if this works out, I'd really like to, to pick up Rich. Well, and, you uh, sure told me and Tony that. Well, <laughs> yeah. Tim, if I got to take a side note. You, you guys shouldn't have broken my windshield either. So that was your boy Cedric that broke your windshield. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let me interject. So, Tim, <laughs> did Manny ever tell you where Cedric Marks is today? No, I have no idea. He's uh, on trial for being a serial killer. Shut I up. thought that was Spratt. There was no Cedric Spider Marks, hundred percent. No, he put oh. you in a car with the guy that murdered his ex-wife. Yeah, you're right. And you're right. Yeah, ex-girlfriend, a couple other people. They think. Yeah, yeah he's got bodies oh all over the place. God, so it's a good thing that kid didn't ride home with us. You were really <laughs> close to having your life ended, Tim. Wow, and you wouldn't even trust that fucker. Something <laughs> I beat I his ass. Good for society. <laughs> hey, I'll, I, I, I just want to bring up if Cedric was a team player. <laughs> will many of my guys, or will they get home safely? <laughs> yeah. I, I just did. You guys see some of the controversy with this uh, UFC judge Douglas Crosby? Yeah, I, I I've heard about it. I don't even know what's happening. What what happened? Yeah, I'll I'll let you guys fill it in. I'm just gonna bring up a little. You know, it's a small world kind of kind of note on this one. So the first UFC fight this, this Douglas Crosby ever judged. Was Ben Earwood decision over our own Chris Lytle? So right. it's a small world, but that was UFC 28. So he's been around for a while, and then all oh, of a I'm sudden, no, I'm, I'm actually friends with Douglas. He's you know trying to set me up with some movie roles and help me with right. like uh, the Halloween movie and stuff when I play Michael Myers. Oh, cool. So yeah, so if you guys know him, bounce that around amongst yourselves. I got questions for everybody, so <laughs> I'll shut up. Well, I always thought Doug was always a little odd. I mean, like you'd uh, very odd. You, I'm being nice, <laughs> and you'd you'd show up, and he would he would always he was always great to me, but he would shake my hands and go, uh, he goes, "Hello, fellow genius." He <laughs> say the same thing every time. I mean, couldn't argue with him, but but uh, you know, he he I didn't notice back then that he had any weird. Judging like weird, like he was on the wrong end or anything. I always, thought he was one of size. I always kind of agreed with him on a lot of the judges. Like when they started showing uh, fight cards and stuff like that, you see he is doing split decisions and him, you know, going, you know, 29, 28 or whatever. I always kind of agreed with him. I thought he was the smarter one out, out of most of them. And then in the last couple of years, he's he's had some really bad ones. And most recently, the Rafael Stott one where. Two judges got have 20, uh, 28, 
29-28, you know, split uh, his edge. And the other one, and he had, no, it was a five-round fight. So 48-47, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, whichever it is, I can't add them up. And then, uh, but he had he had 50, uh, 50, 50 to uh, forty five, uh, the other way. And there were some rounds in there that I mean, there's just no way that Stotts didn't win. I mean, there was somebody com- completely dominated. But I, know, uh, I was watching that fight close because, like I said, Stotts was my last fight, and I said it, and, and I, it was my fourth third or fourth retirement speech in my life. <laughs> and I said, you know, this guy has, he's going to a big show and he's going to be a champ. And uh, so I'm, I'm always rooting for him. And yeah. I'm watching the fight. I'm like, man, they're going to steal this from that. That kid just hold. And that, now that I've never seen, that guy had some, that's like very relentless wrestling. Like yeah. that guy is nonstop. But man, he has to do something with it. He did it, you know, and he just kind of held on and, I just wanted Rafael to win, and when I heard that, I was just like, "Who the fuck? Who, who the heck?" <laughs> you, you, you <laughs> I'm yeah, sure you've never heard a swear word, Rich. <laughs> yeah, like, who the heck judged that round? But yeah, it was Crosby, huh? Thanks. Yeah, and then he had he had another one, a pretty big one, a while back that he was very similar deal. So now he's been accused by. Um, Oh, who's who's the writer? Uh, Loretta Hawaii. Ariel Hawani. Hawani, yeah, <laughs> he's accused him of picking <laughs> winners as uh, that he thinks Dana wants to win. Like Dana says, this guy's ex- more exciting. He's he can help us more. So he he's picking wow. these guys that way. That I mean, that takes a lot to come out and accuse someone of that. Like, That's, but do you hard, remember? It's hard to prove. Do you remember back in 2000 when he popped up? Like, you guys, you remember from, you know, back in those days. Where did he cut, like, what were his credentials at the very beginning? Was he a boxing guy crossing over to MMA? Or Tim said he was from the movie. I I can, Miguel, I could shed some light under that. He's actually one of the guys that helped formulate what Chell Sonnen has become. He's one of the guys that really helped feed Chell lines, kind of groom him in regards to pro wrestling. Him and Chell are super close. I've actually, heard, I've actually heard the same thing. That's a validate. Almost, yeah. like a, almost like a speechwriter. Yeah. yeah. And he had some so, connections to movies. He could help people get, get yeah. some things. Although he always told about, me he, he could, but I, it never never happened. What, what else is going on with the guys that are, are banned from the USC? You know, if you train under the guy, you're banned from the USC because they're accused yeah. of Ice or something? Oh yeah, James Krause's glory jam. So I can I can open up on that as well. So I I just they were had the FAC, which was James Krause's MMA event on Fight Pass. So I did color commentary for it. It was like a last minute gig. They flew me in. They never even aired it. So I guess their contract is up at the December thirty first. What was explained to me was that out of what they referred to as an abundance of caution. Or the gambling that uh, Krause, they're not going to air it live, but they will later on. I, I, if you actually look at like what Krause has going on, like his Discord makes about a hundred grand a month. He, he's got thirty rental properties. He's got a multi-million dollar house, probably just as much in cars. I don't know what Minner did, but to think a guy would throw his entire career away on gambling. 
of which he, the UFC pays him to have his own gambling show on Fight Pass. I think they're just trying to make an example out of him. Like if there was in regards to it, hard to believe that he would be involved in it. That's just my personal. Well, there's just never been enough money bet to to make it worthwhile. I mean, back when I was more involved with the UFC, you couldn't you could only bet so much. I guess now it's a lot of places it's it's bottomless. You can do whatever. But oh yeah, when I when I was betting Jeremy Horn against Liddell, uh, I bet twelve thousand on Jeremy, and they made me do four thousand, and then they changed the odds. Then four thousand, they changed the odds. And then four thousand again. They didn't have to do that since I didn't get any of it back. <laughs> but that's how they made you do it. So it was kind of difficult. How about how about how much did you bet against me against Rico? Yeah, I was only I got uh, the one who made out there was uh, TJ Thompson. Thompson got like nine to one. I got six to one and bet five thousand. Nice. Now, I, yeah, you're right. The numbers are very different nowadays, and you know. Who knows what, you know, they're going to find when they start looking in there. You know, fixing fights is a major problem, but if he was gambling with other people's money and acting like a house in some way, then he's, right. you know, he's probably broken some laws in terms of you can't just be a bookie because you want to be, you know what I mean? So <laughs> I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know the extent of that, but it's all like a big black eye. And it is, uh, I guarantee you one thing, you hear that the UFC you know, looks at a fighter and is like, yeah, but how many Instagram followers does he have? How many, you know, how many, what's his social media like? I guarantee you, 100%, I guarantee you, on the inside, they know which guys bring in the most betting money at every, at every show from the casinos. So they know which guys react. They ask for that number on the inside, and that's not the one published. The one they, they talk about is Instagram numbers, and that makes sense, too. But they, what they care, why is Hamzai such a big deal? And was, because he always brings his foreign money betting. Russians bet, man. <laughs> Tim, you remember the Russian show that we we did when uh, you came in the corner, uh, some guys uh, in Atlantic City where uh, I think Rich was on there. I think Rich yeah. fought on there. Yeah, Rich fought on there. Yeah, it was, it was actually Bruce Buffer nominated my fight as his favorite fight of the year on his uh, uh on his little web website, so that was that was that corner you, Rich? Um, yeah, I think so. I think that was the night you slept in the hallway, Tim. If I'm not mistaken, that locked you out of the hotel room. I think maybe I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, dude. <laughs> I don't. Stories, uh, um, but no, that was it. Was so funny, man. I remember, um, you know, they they played the the U.S. anthem first, which is traditional uh, traditionally. Whatever the hosting country is, you play that national anthem last. And, you know, they played our national anthem, and, you know, it was a normal kind of thing. And then I remember they played the Russian national anthem, and literally the house blew up. I, I honestly don't know how many Americans were actually present that night. The whole place was just filled with, with Russian, like, mobsters and a lot of Russians from New York and stuff like that. So it was it was a crazy, crazy night. It was a great show. No, no, it was uh, USA versus Russia. What was the um, euphoria? Vlad was the promoter, right? Yeah, Vlad. Yeah, I matchmade that with Joe. This is Miguel. How you yeah. doing? 
<laughs> Jeff, I, I match made for Jeff a long time ago, too. We'll get to that. But uh, but I think we actually got a little bit of a mix-up. I think Tim was not at that Russia show. I think Tim cornered you when you fought Matamoros in the tournament. Yeah, Spencer. I know Spencer Fisher was there, uh, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he might have been the only one that was out of the crew that wasn't fighting, that was cornering. I just remember Spencer being there for whatever reason. I don't remember. I've corned, I've corned you, you've corned me. Shit, it was, it was 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, Tim Eilers was there, too. Correct. Okay. Well, so was it, was, yeah, was it was definitely you were there. I, I mixed up. Yeah, yeah. So, Tim, when you first went to MFS, you brought Marcus Davis over with you. I'm like, did you guys go together? No. So, Marcus, uh, I was training with Marcus back in Maine. We bounced together, and he had a pro boxing experience, and he was going down to uh, um, Massachusetts or something and doing some grappling, and he'd come back and teach me all that stuff. So, we were just really good friends, and we bounced together and stuff, and I told him, you know, that's what I was going to do, and he said I should because there was nothing there from, in Maine for me. He said, give it a try. You, you got some potential. I think you could do something. So, you know, I was working out with Sean Davi, his best friend, who, you know, passed away um, back in, like, 2006, I think. But, uh, yeah, that's that's why I went. And then, you know, once I got heavyweight champ, Mike was like, hey, I'd like to come out. I'm like, dude, I got you. Come stay at my place and come train here and see what you think. You know, you you know, you got hell of a good hands. So, uh, <laughs> if you can keep it on the key, you do good. Yeah, he's a trip. Did you know he knew Dana White pre UFC? Did you I, know Dana as well? I I don't think he knew Dana White pre UFC. Like like knew Dana White. I mean, okay. I think it was just through uh, Joe Cav that Joe Cav knew him, and then that was I think Joe did something with um, Marcus. He was Marcus's manager, I think, and then I think that's kind of how they they might have hung out before Marcus in the UFC or someone was lined up. I don't know how well Marcus really knew Dana before. UFC days. He might have, I, I, and maybe I, I don't remember knowing those stories, so I could be wrong. Yeah. Let's take, let's. Uh, hey, so was, was, is Josh, was Josh Nair supposed to be on with us? He said he was supposed to stop in. Yeah, yeah Josh, Miguel, you the same old, it's the same old, same old Josh Nair, the guy used to freaking misses airplanes when he had fights in the UFC, so he probably thinks it's tomorrow or it's at 9 o'clock instead of 8 o'clock. <laughs> Mike, what was that? Miguel, you match made Jeff Coran with uh, hooking shoot days, Mike, correct? Yeah. And it's one of those things where I think it goes right along the lines of what Jeff was saying, where, oh, man, if the guy had been born at a different, at a different time, it'd be different because... Back in those days, he was competing at 155. You know what I mean? And he's not a 155-pounder. And he, he was giving our 155-pound guys, you know, like I think I think he came into a title shot because of credentials and things who he was. And then, you know, had a rivalry with our champion, Phil Johns, and then uh, got a title shot at 145. So he, had already, he, he was already really well-known, was really respected. I bought him in. Because he elevated the level of my show. And I remember a very intense moment because I think he had lost to Phil Johns, maybe even a Monty show. And then he was rematching him on my show. And Jeff came into the arena like at noon. Like, you know, the fight's at 8 or 9 o'clock. You know, he's main event, really, so it's probably more like 10 o'clock. 
and he showed up at noon, and him and his team took over like a room in the in the basement, and they just locked themselves in there, and he meditated, you know, and whatever else he it was that he was doing in there, but he was focused the entire day on that time. I I don't even remember. I think there was always controversy. Something always happened like that was unfortunate in in those matches, but. His focus, and the, like that was like the kind of thing we were talking about for like a long time. And, you know, he went on to to prove us right, that he was a guy that was going to be be a, a, at a different level. Jeff, what do you remember about that? I know it probably is the kind of thing that you look back on as learning experience. It's probably not, not the best ones to talk about, so we're going to make you do it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> starting with Monty's cage, it was like, Cage Warriors or something, whatever you called it when you were in uh, Green Bay. We were it, was it was still Extreme uh, Cage Cage Combat. Yeah, Extreme Challenge Cage Combat inside of an indoor golf place. Yep. And I remember the rules. That was my first meeting with um, Bart Bart Geyer fought Henry. Remember that fight? Yep. Fucking, they fought for like 30 minutes and Henry was pummeled and then choked him at the end or something. It was like... Yeah. Crazy, but I was fighting. Uh, I fought Phil, and right in the rules meeting, Bonnie's it was a big square cage at the time, and they had a crossbar with like a three or four foot mark, you know, all the way around. And Bonnie's like, guys, my just let everyone know, like you know the the pads did the crossbar pads did chip, so you know be careful, <laughs> you know, warning. And right out of the gate, I shoot in on a takedown. I take Phil down as I'm falling, like bridge of my nose hits the crossbar and I'm just unconscious in the corner oh. and, and Phil stands up and grabs the fence and just starts uppercutting my face and I'm just like brutalized and I'm in the I'm in the I remember being in the back in the in the uh, like checking out my all my cuts and my nose was busted and I'm like what the fuck just happened I thought I was taking the guy down and he's like that's all right we're on different levels you know you'll get there blah 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 I'm like dude Everyone's telling me I, this came from a crossbar. It didn't come from you, you know? Yeah. I was already unconscious when you hit me. So I, at that point, I was just like, I want to rematch Phil. And uh, then you guys got me the shot. And the winner, that if I were to win that title, then I would go over to Brazil and fight uh, Rafael Cordero, who was the IABC champ. That was kind of the, the selling point of that. And I was like, I want that. I want to go to Brazil and fight... 30 minutes, no gloves, and you know, the whole deal. And uh, I remember we were like, you're saying we were there all day after like we get about an hour before the show, and I realize I don't have a mouth guard. <laughs> and I'm like, what? We don't have a mouth guard? So I'm like, someone ran out and told one of my people to run to like a store and buy me a boil and bite. And since we were cat cooped up in a little kitchen, we had a microwave, and I boiled it and I made it fit. And uh, the fight was unfortunate because I was I was winning the fight pretty easily. It was a 20-minute time limit. We were 16 minutes in, and he threw, like, an overhand right and kind of raked my eye. And I kind of hit the deck because it, like, poked my eye. It wasn't even a punch. It just, like, raked me. And I hit the deck and covered up, and he shoved me out of the ring, and everybody called it off. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm laying down the ground on all these wires. I said, I'm fine. And by the time I even stood up, he already had the belt. So I was just like, what? I was kind of pissed. And I know Monty managed him. and Maybe we would talk about getting another fight. And I'm like, 
I never never managed Phil Johnson. Well, you well he fought he didn't manage but he fought on extreme challenges and he was your lightweight champ or something. And yeah, like, he fought he fought for him. He was never. I mean, I yeah. put Jens Pulver against him. But what kind of what I kind of thought of, which is, it, at that point in my life, I'm like, you know what? Some people are just they're your nemesis, and I'm not going to waste my any more time. I'm going to move forward. Um, and then I came and fought Anthony Hamlet, and I shoot in on, I like, I throw like a one, two, I hit him with one or two of those. I, sh I shoot in, he shoots in for a single leg as I tag him and I put a guillotine on him and he picks me up and he puts me down and the cage that we were fighting in the ring that we were fighting in, you see the ref, he's the guy with the long hair, whatever his name was. Sure. He's back, he's back there chilling on the ropes across the ring and I get slammed my shoulder and my head and there was only like the one inch of foam, you know, for like a, like a boxing ring. And I'm just unconscious. And he's elbowing me in the face for like 10, 15 unanswered shots. And finally the ref's like, oh shit, just out. My face was like swollen up. And again, I just said, fuck it, I got to move forward. I'm not going to get caught up in rematches and stuff like that because I feel like it would just, would have just ruled my life. And I just kind of moved on. But what show was that? That was a hook and shoot when I fought Anthony Hamlet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds like sounds like my reffing abilities. It would turn, <laughs> the guy would just I remember I was reffing an extreme challenge and um, I was so caught up in the fight, I'm like, oh my God, this guy is getting his ass beat. I love it. And I'm like, oh shit, I gotta stop this. <laughs> and it was uh, it was like Rich Franklin and, and Billy Rush's guy, and I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I just I wasn't paying attention. I was just in the moment. I was enjoying the fight. I had front row seat. I was just watching somebody get pummeled, and I'm like, oh yeah, I thought I should stop this. Money. That's how it's we work. Forty six. Go ahead, Jeff. I'm sorry. I got I got asked to ref a fight because I was renting my oh, ring out for some fights in Wisconsin. I think it was like. Somehow Adrian Serrano was helping promote it, and they asked me if I would like ref it. And it's just over the border from where I'm at, so I went and I ref the fight because I they rented my ring, and I had the rules of meeting. I said, guys, this is so long ago. I'm like, I'm not stopping the fight unless you tap or get knocked out. So let it go. And I was just like, these people were so bloody. There was there was so much happening. And I'm just like, I'm not stopping it, not stopping it. There's blood everywhere. People like the same way. We're fighters. We want we want to fight this <laughs> until the yeah. death. Yeah. <laughs> We're not stopping it. Monty, Extreme Challenge 46 that led into Super Brawl 24. Uh, I refer to it as the greatest heavyweight tournament ever on United States soil. Tim Sylvia, yeah. you watched from the beginning all the way to the end. Why don't you two reminisce about that, Monty? Please start. Uh -huh. I got a couple of funny things about that whole tournament. That was TJ Thompson and I decided what can we do that makes us stand out? Because we, I had Extreme Challenge, he had Super Brawl, and we were putting on some really good fights. And, I mean, some of the shows that I put on, we have 14 guys that ended up in the UFC. I mean, these were – you don't see these club fights like that anymore. You know, with that, there was, that there was none of this ultimate fighter shows either. We right. earned, we earned our UFC spots. Yeah, and and it, and you know, there was a time for about two years 
that Extreme Challenge was outdrawing the UFC. It wasn't even close. I was drawing 8,000, 7,000, 5,000, and they were drawing 1,500 and 2,500 because they didn't have any locals. You know, they would just put in the eight-man tournament and, and in, in Birmingham or wherever, and they didn't draw. And so we were doing really big, but we didn't get – we got kind of noticed from uh, full-contact fighter who kind of adopted the Militich team and came in, and everyone was sponsored, you know, by him. But we decided to do this big tournament. So I said, I'll do, I'll do an eight-man tournament in Des Moines, an eight-man tournament in Utah. You do an eight-man tournament in, uh, in Hawaii. We'll take the top four from each, and then we'll pick four at-large people. And then we got 16 guys that will all go to Hawaii, and we'll do this monster tournament. And, and, uh, and, <laughs> and there's something happened at every single one. The first one in Des Moines, Ben Rothwell had MRSA or something all over his oh, face. Yeah. And he and he, he tore up uh, 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 Terry Shaw and, and Mike Radnov. They had some they had to go to the hospital and stuff and they had big boils of pus. You know, he came all messed wow. up like that. And uh, but he won that one and then out in uh, in in uh, uh, Salt Lake City, we, right before the show, uh, TJ and I realized we forgot to get an ambulance. It wasn't so much that we forgot, but the, the building said they would get it, honestly. And, and we went to them and said, hey, when's the ambulance get here? And he goes, uh, I forgot. And so we're like, what do we do? Do we try to call now or do we, you know, see if we can avoid it? And we're like, yeah, we'll avoid it. So TJ yeah. and I are sitting on the other the, side. The responsible thing. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're, we're standing back about 50 feet from the ring. And we, we were telling the athletic commission, they were just here. They wanted to get a little closer. So they went out there moving around. They're going to come to the other side. And we're just telling them anything. Like, Let's get this started. And so TJ and I are standing there. And TJ looks at me and goes, how many times have you needed an ambulance? And at that time, I'd probably done 150 shows. And I said, uh, just just once, uh, you know. And he goes, yeah, me too. You know, so we're good, right? And I go, oh, yeah. First fight of the night was this 400-pound dude from Washington State against Tim. And uh, that guy comes over and just drives Tim back to the, uh, to the ropes. And he's trying to push Tim over. And Tim ends up sidestepping, and over the top he goes, cracks his head on the on the steps, oh. and and, and uh, you know TJ and I look at each other and like, are you serious? So we <laughs> yeah. call nine one one, and uh, yeah, the, the athletic commission said if you ever pull anything like that again, you'll never promote another show. Now stop right there, though, real quick. But, I wasn't I wasn't supposed to be in that tournament. Correct. By luck, by luck, Tommy Sauer came up to train with me to get ready for the tournament. Right. And you told Tommy, you're like, look, you know, Tim's big. There's going to be a lot of big guys in this tournament, so you definitely need to uh, train with Tim and, you know, get some good conditioning, you know, get used to the weight. And uh, I beat the hell out of Tommy, poor guy. I love the guy, but I just beat him up everywhere in that room. And he's just like, uh, Monty, let Tim have my spot. I, I can't do it. Yeah. There's no way I got this spot. <laughs> 
the 205. And that was one of those things. Tim Tim actually snuck into the Militich camp uh, unbeknownst to me. I The first I heard about Tim, uh, Joe Silva called and said, you got that big guy from Maine. And I go, who? And he said, Tim Sylvia. And he, he goes, he's like 6'8". I go, man, I'd have seen that guy. I go, I, I've never, I haven't seen him. And uh, so I went down to find him and, and uh, uh, Pat pointed him out to me and Pat made the joke. He goes, well, you don't know how tall he is. He's always puking in a garbage can. And, and, uh, and, and uh, he goes, yeah, he goes, he goes, the kid's got no quit in him. He goes, but I don't know. I, I don't know, you know, if he's going to make it. And, uh, and so, so he kept Tim, kept, or Joe would call him periodically say, how's Tim doing? I'm like, you know, just, I go, give it some time. I go, he's, he's down here with great guys and stuff, but I, we don't know. We don't know if he's going to make it, you know, if he's going to be that level or not. And, uh, then, uh, I was putting him in things. I put, I mean, I didn't take, I didn't take care of him. I put him in with Rothwell first. I think that was our first fight together. I put you in with Ben at, uh, it was the second because I fought Greg Wicked. beat the hell out of Oh, Wicked. that's right. Wicked. Yeah. yeah. And then Rothwell. So it's, it's not like, I mean, there weren't a lot of heavyweights around. So everyone was, was pretty good. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, Tim was, when he beat Rothwell, I, I didn't know much about Rothwell. He's only like 19 and he had beat up a couple of fat dudes in Cincinnati that people make fun of us for. But, um, you know, I knew you could see then that um, okay, that's a that's a quality win. But I still didn't. I mean, I always tell people Tim's the guy that snuck by. Almost everyone I saw and uh, ahead of time, and I said this guy's gonna this guy's gonna do it. Tim surprised me, and from the time he started in this tournament, we put him in to the time he finished winning the tournament. That he he won seven fights in. Two months, basically. You won three fights in Utah and then four fights in Hawaii. And all of a sudden, the guy that was like 4-0 and or something, well, now I don't have an excuse. He's 11-0. And, and uh, you know, here's, here's Joe calling again, you know. And I said, well, I go, he just beat some really good guys down here. Poor Mike Whitehead had to go. <laughs> he, he started his career fighting Sylvia, Rothwell, Sylvia. All in two days, <laughs> like a tough, a tough welcome to MMA, you know. And he ends up one and two out of it. But uh, that's that was how we ended up with the UFC. Was was uh, when Joe first said he goes, I know you're going to say this is ridiculous, but can we get Tim in again? And I go, Yeah, we could do it now. I think he's definitely ready. He goes, Who would you want to put in? I go, Oh, we'd like to fight Cabbage because that because he ducked us in in the tournament. He was. He came out with a fake broken hand, so he didn't have to fight Tim. Oh, really? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, that was all fake. That was TJ. TJ went back and he goes, "You don't want to ever going to be more valuable to me than you are right now. Your hand's broken. Yeah. <laughs> We're not fighting Tim." <laughs> and so you know, and the, uh, so anyway, so so Tim goes in. I'll never forget. It's in, it's in the book I'm writing. There was a was it a guy from Sports Illustrated? Or New York Times. Yep. They wrote about it and goes, Something. goes so, yeah, some monster, you know, landed uh, 635 out of 639 punches on, on cabbage. I mean, there wasn't, you, you hardly missed a punch. 
mean, you could have closed your eyes and you just kept hitting him and hitting him. And finally, you know, stopped him. But, uh, but that's how we, that's how it all kind of, I skipped over how we ended up doing the management part, but you, you know, but I didn't want to keep going. Hey, Rich Clemente was involved in that. Yeah. Well, I signed, I signed three guys from that tournament and it was, you know, Rich and, and, uh, you and, and, uh, Tony all yeah. from, all from that, uh, at one event, yeah. Nine that, event, I, I had 3,000 tickets sold for that event with five days before the show, and then 9-11. And then the next three days, I sold nothing. Yeah. And nothing. And no one, I didn't even leave the hotel. You stayed, you were just, you know, My opponent didn't even show up. Yeah, well, half of them. All, everyone I was flying in couldn't make it. So they none of those people came. And I didn't realize I, that that was right at the same time period, actually. Oh, Missy woke me up. I was sleeping, and she goes, are you seeing this? And I go, what? And, and I turned it on, and there's the one building. And Hey, Missy must have called you because I was with Missy at the gym. I was personal training people at the gym, and it was on the TV at Gold's, and I'll never forget it because Missy started crying, and that's when I, I kind of realized, oh, my God, this is huge, like – I was like, yeah. oh, a plane just crashed in the fucking building. Nobody, you know, weird accident. And then when the second one did, right, Missy started crying, and I'm just like, oh my god, yeah, oh my god. And that's when it was just bone chilling when the second one hit. Yeah, but yeah, we were at Gold's Gym, and I was personal training people, and Missy just started crying on the uh, the the doing. She was doing. Yeah. I don't know, it was crazy. It is. Everyone remembers kind of where they were during that thing. I mean, it was just a. Such a moment in history, and and um, you know immediately I thought about my ticket sales and how and how this was going to affect me. Just kidding, but uh, I was actually supposed to be out there. But correct, like I against a girl from Seattle, right? Yeah, yeah, because neither of you guys could make it. And then Joe Joe Dirksen drove all the way from Winnipeg. Yeah. He drove. And then a bunch yeah, of me and Tony Frickland drove some serial killer. Yeah, yeah I heard they did. To be honest, out of this phone call, I can't tell you how excited I am to do a deep dive Google search. Going to be honest. I I got and, uh, Brian maybe Dunn, Rich is Brian. the reason he's a serial killer. Look, well, yeah, whatever we, took place in that car ride changed him. Dude, there's a <laughs> lot. Of, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of strange it was people. Tony that Mike Dedolf, he fought for us, fought for me a couple times. Oh, Tony Dedolf. Tony Dedolf, yeah. I and fought. He, you know, he's in prison for killing one of the guys that killed the other ranger. He was a he was a Green Beret. I thought he was a SEAL. Well, it was one of those. They were all there was yeah. a Green Beret, a SEAL, and some others, and they they were uh, they were hazing him. The guy because he wasn't showing respect, and they ended up killing him. Yeah, I, I actually had a, a fighter out of my gym that uh, wound up being a serial killer. Killed like uh, uh, his, his pregnant girlfriend. Killed his their parents. Knifed them all, and then set their house on fire. And then wound up like his name was Jatori Evans. Uh, wound up hanging himself uh, in the cell. Man, uh, just craziness. Man, just I mean, some of these guys just lose it. Just wow. Well, that, honestly, the sport didn't pay much back then, and it attracted a. You had to be messed up to be, want to do it. Like all like of us, right? Like, there's a screw loose 
if you wanted to do it back then. Jen, and that's what... And Jen, I, I wanted to jump Jen. in. I wanted to ask you, Jen, so how did you get involved in this madness? Like, at this point, you know, you're a young girl. See, you're fighting in 97, 98 is your first fight. So it's like, this is really early days. This is real pioneer stuff. How did you come across this whole thing? Um, well, actually, <laughs> it's kind of weird. I just, I had recently gotten out of a relationship, an abusive relationship. And that went on for a few years and I wanted to get my confidence back. So I went into the gym and started grappling. And I'm surprised I actually made it past the first day. I remember a guy showing me positions and he got mounted on me and he said, this is the mount. And I turned bright red and said, I don't know your name. Will you please get off me? <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, the first time somebody takes your back with a cup on your, it's a little eye opening because you have no idea what the hell's going on. You also don't know if it's a cup. <laughs> That's the problem. I didn't know. <laughs> I'm like, what's in my back right now? <laughs> but that, that's kind of how I got into it. I just, I had no confidence. I, and I, I just wanted to get my confidence back and learn how to take care of myself. And I started there and then Griff came up to me, my trainer at the time and said, Hey, you want to fight? And I said, well, let's see if this works. See, and, 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 that's, <laughs> and, and that's Griffin Reynard, who's kind of like an unsung hero of the old days. Like, you know, Jeremy Horn cites him as a great training partner. We recently yeah. interviewed Alex Steibling, who raved about him. Uh, why don't you talk about how he guided you to actually go compete? Because, you know, it, it's a different ball game. You, you know, get a little confidence, get in the gym. A lot of ladies do that. Not a lot of ladies, you know, call Monty and say, I'm going to get in the ring. <laughs> Well, I didn't call Monty. No. Griff called Monty and said, I got this girl. Well, actually, I called, I called Griff. I came to, came to Salt Lake City for the first time. I'd never even been to Utah. And I went there and I, I said, who are the, who do I need to know here? And they, one of the names was Griff. I called him and I go, who do you got that I could use? And he said, he goes, well, you got this guy, this guy, Ben Call, some other guys. And then he said, I got a girl that might want to do it. They're fantastic, and that was that's how it all got started. Was that '97? I don't know. We did. We well, that was a big ass crowd. That was that was one of the biggest crowds I'd had at the time. I know oh, one I of my friends Scott Turner fought. Pardon? One of my friends Scott Turner fought on that extreme. Yeah, in the tournament from Virginia Beach. Yeah, yeah, and he fought in the tournament, and uh, at that time. Uh, uh, Travis Fulton was really tough. Yeah. He, he had he had fought in Brazil two days before in an eight-man tournament, and he flew directly to Salt Lake. He's limping. He's got a black guy. He's all beat up, and he had to try to make 200 pounds. He was 203. Travis wasn't really known for training and weight loss. He couldn't make it, so he ends up 201, and uh, the, I, I tell the guys in the tournament, I go, hey, uh, you know, come on, this guy just flew all the way from Brazil. Are you gonna, you gonna do this? And let him in? And they were like, no, we made two hundred. He's got to make two hundred. So they didn't want to fight him, and so he ended up fighting that famous video where the guy jumps over his head 
and then he <laughs> slammed him. That was how he ended those. I love that video. video. Huh? I love that video. Oh, God, it's been seen like a million and some times. Yeah. There's all these comments. What kind, what kind of matchmaker would put this fight <laughs> <type> together? <laughs> but uh, Dennis Reed went into the tournament, and then Travis went to fight this idiot. That kept, he would come to my room. Every day he would come to my room and say, you got to let me fight. you got to let me fight. And I didn't have anything, and he, did, he, he didn't have any training, and I didn't want him. And then in the end, I was one guy short, and I go, he came, and I go, you know what? Enough's enough. You know, I was sure. sitting there, Joe Gold was there, yeah. full contact fighter, and he goes, give him a shot. Give him a shot. And wasn't he a Taekwondo guy? Huh? He was a Taekwondo guy, wasn't he? He was a no-quite kind. Were you talking about Travis? No, no the no. other, the, the guy that jumped over his head. Oh. <laughs> they got folded. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the deal was I told, I told him, I go, listen, do not hit this guy. You can't punch him. I go, just take him down and submit him. I go, I don't want, you know, I don't want you hurting him. All right. So he did. He started to hit him and he stopped. Then he just decided, well, I'll slam him. That'll look good. And he then the guy started been slammed and screamed and acted like he was dead. But he was fine. He just got slammed. He <laughs> was like an undertaker. It's like yeah, it was a crazy, it's a crazy looking video, though. I don't know if I've seen the video. Oh, my gosh. It, oh, it's no, under you I can tell a little classic closer to that fight, too. Uh, what was the name of the ref for that? That was one of your guys, Monty. Todd Fredrickson. All right, this guy, Fredrickson, is a dry, dry-humored mother effort, you know? So Fulton is, like, kind of feeling bad in the ring, and, you know, after the fight, and he's raising his hand, and, and uh, you know, he's about to say, you know, he feels bad, and... Fredrickson cuts him off and he goes, you know, that boy sure did smell. Boy sure does smell. <laughs> something like something along those lines. And, and uh, you know, that just took the, you know, kind of made Fulton a little more comfortable over that. So I, I always enjoyed that story with the guy, that guy. Um, go ahead, Monty. Any, you know, since we're talking about any, you guys have any thoughts on, on the Fulton thing? I mean, that, that was a heck of a shock. Jeez, I was—I didn't want to say anything. Like, what's the status? He's—he's. Gilman's he's, dead. Yeah, I mean, but did they? Did they? <laughs> he's on the end of that. He's, he's, a, he's on the other side of the grass right now. Yeah, but he. he Where you uh, Did they prove any? Like, I, obviously they proved it, and he went to jail. But I mean, how oh, here was it? I, I can say inside for this stuff, right? Do you want me to say about money or yourself? No, go ahead. You, you, All you, right, so you, in essence, like a few years prior, there was a 13-year-old girl that came forward. He was able to get out of that one. <clears throat> this one, he, uh, it was like digital. He was actually manufacturing and trading, and he was doing it through like the Postal Service. So when he got picked up, um, Another victim came forward. I think it was somebody related to him. And that's when he took a plea deal instead of going to trial. He said, hey, I'm going to take the time. He agreed to it. So then they set the date for him to go in and accept and sign for it. And uh, although he agreed and accepted, he never made it to the uh, the actual signing. He hung himself. Yeah. 
Yeah, so he he was uh, when you say he was uh, he was well, yes, I know he, creating he was, it, creating and manufacturing. Yeah, yeah, he was he was filming. So he was filming acting in the. He was acting in it too, I think. Yeah. Right. See, when I I was under the impression he was involved in distributing and selling and like helping distribute and sell child pornography. I didn't know he was actually in the act. And it's part of it. Yeah, to have all of those charges kind of placed on you, a big part of it is actually your participation. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't know that. That's crazy. I'll tell you, somebody could actually do a, 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 an amazing episode on just like the crazy deaths and like off-the-wall stories of MMA. Because I know about ten of them personally myself, and I mean, I didn't know all those details, but uh, um, yeah, just craziness, man. And you know what? With you know, have, when you have kids, you look at God, look at that, and it's like, well, if he didn't do it, someone else was gonna fucking do it because it's just bullshit. Yeah, I don't know. It makes me sick, man. Because you know, oh, I, exactly. I watched him fight so many times, and I always had respect for him because he was a grinder, you know, and. I know he was a thing, yeah. It's just like, you know, you see this and you go, what the fuck? You gotta, why you gotta prey on people like that? Yeah. And then okay. he's already getting more time than he needs. Who's, who's the, who's the other one, Tim, uh, that, that just went to Sean jail Huffman? for that? Sean Huffman. Sean Huffman. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Same, same thing. You know, he had Sean Huffman with like 50 fights, Sean Huffman? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Trained with us. Yep. He uh, he was dating a nurse, and she had two young daughters. And when the nurse would go to work, he would molest the daughters, and he did it for several years. And so and they. He, yeah, I, he had a kid with her, and what happened was she wouldn't let him see the the kid, and he's you know saying making her out to be this whole bad guy. When they had all this evidence again, but it's just right. they, had to, they had to keep building the evidence and building the case. So he was just always pleading, "Oh, poor me, poor me! I got a piece of shit baby mama who won't let me see my kid and this and that." But you couldn't yeah, see the kid because you were a giant piece of shit. Pedal. The judge was—he goes, "The judge is against me and all that stuff." But yeah. it turns out they all knew he was guilty. They just had to prove it. Exactly, and that's why all the cops didn't like him, and everybody was against him. Well, they all knew what you were doing, you sick fuck. Dude, yeah, let, I I don't know if we could maybe move on to a brighter subject like like. <laughs> <laughs> we'll all want to turn into vigilantes here shortly. Like like Monty's <laughs> face. Well, we'll all join King Velasquez's group. But uh, I I have a question for you, Tim. We you mentioned a little bit about how you know how much you know dues you paid on the on the underground circuit and stuff. I was gonna ask you, how do you feel like when you watch somebody like? Like uh, the French guy Cyril Ngane or Ngane, whatever his name is. I mean, he's a good fighter, but ten yeah. fights in a UFC title fight, was, don't you get a little like pissed off? <laughs> I mean, it, it's the sport that it is today. I mean, it's oversaturated. It's it's watered down. We have A, B, and C level fighters in the UFC now. You know, it's it's not like it used to be when they had six shows a year. And you knew all sixteen guys that were fighting, and you all looked forward to it. Now they have an event every week, and you got you might know two guys that are fighting. You know nothing about everybody else, and 
you know, there's still a lot of great fights. And, you know, those fights were what we used to see back in the day on morning shows and, and hook and shoots and ISCs and stuff. But now they're in the UFC and there really isn't any smaller shows that build them anymore because it's all in the UFC because they need so many guys to to flood the system and, and make and money off them. To, to, to your point, Tim, it was funny. And I don't know what me do this. Uh, I think I saw my boys, some heavyweight uh, uh, wrestlers that fought MMA. And, and Travis Mew's uh, name came up. And I showed him. And I was going through his record. And my boys are like, so was he a UFC champ? And I was like, guys, I don't even know if he fought in UFC. I, I don't recall. I don't think he did. Is that Gosh. correct? He fought twice. Twice, yeah, but like with the with the with the record that he had, I mean, nobody's got that at nowadays. Nobody gets no. those type of caliber guys, you know. Dude, they um, never and, will. They and never and will. that just validates how difficult it was to really climb the ladder back in the day, you know. And there was a lot of respect, I think, that goes along with that. Well, here, like if you guys look at yourselves, Jeff, you're a fifty fight club member. Rich, you've got to be close if not. And Tim, how many fights do you have? No, I'm 60. Yeah, I'm 60. You're 60? Okay, oh, you're 50. I mean, just MMA is probably 40, but I mean, with, with you know, my boxing and kickboxing and, and all 50. that, you know, so, well in the 50s, yeah. So, John, you've got, like, it was a lot harder for you than it was men. At that time, there was, I mean, as slim of a talent pool as they had, you had even less, but... The 50 Fight Club is a limited, like, place that very few people will ever cross into nowadays. Like, right now, Clay Guida just had 50 fights, but that's like a throwback guy. These new kids, I doubt they'll have yeah. 50 fights in their entire lives. And yeah. that's our recorded fights. That's well, not I mean, the, the, other right. <laughs> yeah. the other thing, too, is these guys, is you know, they don't need to have that many fights if it's not enough. They'll make, you know, five to, you know, five million or so, put it away, be smart about it. They can retire before they're all broken and shattered. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think back then guys fought because they wanted to, but they oh, also, yeah. the guys were trying to make it a living. And well, you and could, we also you fought. Do it. We fought for fun. I mean, I, my first two or three fights, I had to pay to fight. <laughs> so, I mean, I actually had to pay entry fees to fight. I should have so, Jen, you talked about your motivation starting fighting. What kept you in it? I mean, you fought Amanda Buckner. You got to win over her. Tara LaRosa, you got to win over her. Like, you, you've you got some just absolute in your record. I, I Honestly, I loved it. I loved fighting. It, if it actually, if it paid more and I had the time to do it, I just couldn't keep up with the kids and work. And everything else that was going on in my life. <clears throat> it was really challenging. I loved the guys I trained with. Honestly, they were a bunch of meatheads, but they were amazing. Mm -hmm. They helped build me back up, made me learn who I was, you know, stuff like that. It was just, I liked going around, being challenged. Honestly, the Amanda Buckner fight was my favorite fight. That one, I was out on my feet for a while on that one. But yeah, and Jennifer, and she she would always come out there and her she'd have her hair pulled back and everything and she everything was nice. She's happy, she likes her opponent, and then finally at some point the opponent hits her. And then her hair gets messed up and she looks like she's like evil. And all of a sudden she just started beating the living shit out of everybody. No one all those people she fought were world ranked. Neff was number two in the world. 
she finished first round. Amanda was like three first round. Uh, Tara LaRosa was undefeated. She was the next thing. She got dropped three times in the first round before they finally stopped it. And she, Tara told me she couldn't even leave the, the hotel room for two days. She was so messed up. So yeah, the, the thing with Jen, that she, she worked at uh, UPS, right? Yeah. yeah. And she was, she lifted all these heavy things. Her biceps were ridiculous. <laughs> and she had like man arms. <laughs> and, and and hair on her back. I'm telling you. My traps made me look like a guy. Yeah, she was. I mean, when she hits it, was it was not like like these these girls back then. They were all pretty tough, and they didn't care about getting thrown around or submitted. But boy, a good shot to the face, and they did not like that at all. Judy Neff was the biggest girl. You probably. Muscular, and the first time you hit her in the face with an elbow, she tapped. It was over. Yeah. You know, I mean, but we went to all of these people's hometowns. We went to Idaho to fight Neff. We went to Florida to 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 fight uh, Larosa. I mean, you know, I brought Buckner in. We did, we were having a good a good old time. We couldn't find anyone that Jennifer couldn't beat the tar out of, and we we even handicapped her. Wait. We had one in Iowa where we brought in like a six foot, yes. some six foot monster, and we we uh, told her that she couldn't take her down. She had to box her. The girl's got about twenty six inches of reach on her, and uh, <laughs> and well, part and, uh, of the problem was Jen's and Jeremy were cornering me, and she walks, and I'm standing in between Jen's and. Jeremy and she walks past Jeremy and he turns and looks at her eye to eye, then looks down at me and says, Damn, she's a lot bigger than you. Works that Jennifer finally got, got inside the reach and hit that girl one time, spun her around, and that girl quit. But that girl had landed somewhere around fourteen hundred jabs. <laughs> Jennifer's face is all messed up. And and when the girl quit, she's like, no, I want to hit her some more. She, she's she been hitting me all night. You well, know? I think I told Monty when my, I, I'm bleeding everywhere. So we get, we're tied up and I'm thinking, I'm just going to wipe my blood on her shirt. And all of a sudden I look and I'm like, oh, I am not motorboating this girl. <laughs> <laughs> Well, on her shirt, it's, I'm right there in her chest. So, no, it didn't happen. Yeah. And Jen, you got some hammers. You could definitely throw. And actually, that was kind of, I love jujitsu, and jujitsu was always my first love. But when I was fighting girls, I would, I, I was bad. I would take one to give one because I knew I could hit you harder. And honestly, I, I just, I never got mad until they hit me. Once they hit me good, then I went after them. So, so Tim, we had Josh Neer on about a year ago. And going into the military fighting systems, it's a very close-knit group. And when you're an outsider and you don't belong there, it's kind of a lonely place. And yeah, when, we asked, when we asked <laughs> Josh, you know, what kind of helped bridge that gap, he said, man, Tim Sylvia. He's like, if I, Tim Sylvia wasn't there, I probably, I, you know, I don't think I would have left. It would have been a lot more difficult, but I'd look at Tim. He'd see me just having a real hard day, and he'd say, keep going, keep, keep going, kid. Like, he 
what he says behind your back is just just glow. Absolutely. Well, I, I didn't like Josh first because him and Spencer Fisher had a ride. Yeah. And I was there. And I'm like, I didn't like this kid. So the first day he shows the gym, I I I grappled him and sparred him, and I beat the shit out of him. But he was there the next day, and Spencer's like, man, he's a really really good guy. And Spencer's one of my best friends. And then what I liked about Josh was, you know, but you know, I kind of took my training at the Gen Z and I wanted to make sure I was the highest working heavyweight, you know, in, in MMA. So I busted my ass in the gym and I always made sure my condition was on point. And Josh was there every single time. Like other, other heavyweights weren't there. Other fighters weren't there, but Josh was always there working out with me, doing everything I was doing. I, I love that kid, man. He's, he's a, a great, great guy, but I didn't like him when he first came here because I thought he was a jerk off because him and Spencer had this huge rivalry. Dude, that that I still say that's that fight may be the best fight I've ever seen. And that really, was, I was in the corner, I was cornering Spencer, but it was good. It was. I mean, you know, both those guys can strike. They never took a step back. They what just beat the living tar out of each other. Which fight? That was in Victor. Was that victory? Yep, victory up in Des Moines. Yeah, because I went too, and, and but uh, Spencer Fisher and Josh Neer. Oh. And there was so That's much shit talking. They were also, it was like a Nick Diaz fight, two Nick Diaz each fighting each other. And they were yeah. jaw jacking the whole time and, and just talking shit and, and slapping each other. And I mean, it was like after every, after as soon as the bell rang, they were in each other's faces the whole time. I mean, it was like literally watching two Nick Diaz fighting each other. And we were under, man, there's like maybe five of us. And the entire place is Jai Schneer's people. I mean, you know, it was pretty, you know, I, yeah, that was, that was kind of like, it was like a split decision. It was a split decision. And, and, uh, I mean, we were just thinking, oh, boy, this is, this shit, this, these guys are going to go crazy. And they did because Spencer, yeah. Spencer won and he did win it. But he it, did. But it was it a was hell of a fight. Well, it was kind of like when I fought, when I fought poor Pujanowski there in the United States, in Boston, we're thinking, yeah, home court advantage. No. There was more Polish people in that place I've ever seen my <laughs> whole life. I think there was like five percent U.S. American people, and the rest were all Polish. The cops were even Polish, it seemed like. <laughs> so, Ani, uh, can I ask a question? Or you guys, Spencer, doing? No, I still talk to Spencer a lot. Yeah, you tell. You talk to him. Um, I talk to Spencer at least probably once a week now. Um, but he's he's not. I mean, he's doing great family-wise. He's doing great. He's got a good gym going on, and he's hunting again and stuff like that. But mentally, he's just not there. Um, it's, it's it's sad, you know. It's um, I talk, you know, like his, he'll keep like bringing up the same questions over and over and over to me, and then I'll message him and, and be like, hey, you know, he's just having a weird day today, you know, and he, you know, sorry, I don't mean, have to fucking apologize or anything, you know, it's bullshit what happened to him and stuff, and. But, um, yeah, I mean, he's just – life-wise, he's doing really good. You know, he's, he's in a good place and stuff like that. But, you know, when it comes to his health, you know, he's just, just very forgetful and stuff. And, you know, unfortunately, it is what it is with that situation. But life as it goes, he's doing great. He's in a great spot. He's got, all his kids are healthy. Emily and him are great and stuff. But memory-wise and stuff like that, that's, that's what's going. Yeah. Just, the fights he had with Stout were just – I oh, mean, epic, you know, brain cell crushing fights. 
And uh, you guys probably don't even know this, but he, uh, the UFC was always trying to get that, get a third fight. And, uh, you know, and, and I asked him, what do you think? And he goes, Bonnie, he goes, I'm just mentally, I'm not ready for it. And he goes, that, because I pissed blood for like two weeks. He goes, I, you know, couldn't sleep. And, and I said, then it's not a fight that we need. And so um, UFC came back and I would say no. And they got to Spencer and Spencer said, yeah, I'll do the fight. And then I, I said, nah, we're not, we're not doing it, Spencer. He said, no, we did plenty of all these guys to fight. And I wouldn't let him do it. And then we ended up, I, I, he left my management and he found another guy that let him do the fight and stuff. I, I wouldn't do it. That's just a, you could, you know, he, he was already showing signs of that. And, and Spencer was one of those, you know, he's a North Carolina rat, you know, I mean, that guy's not afraid of anything. And when he tells you, man, I don't know if I want that fight, you know, he don't, he don't need that fight because he would never back down from anything. And, uh, the UFC just kept going. That's a, an area where they didn't they didn't give a shit back then. I mean, they just were. They still don't care. I mean, yeah, they don't a good fight. You know, in our interview with him, in our interview with Spencer, he said the last time he walked a straight line was when uh, right before he fought uh, Hermes Franca. He's like, after Fra that Franca fight, he couldn't walk in a straight line. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, Jeff. You got some crazy grapplers on your record. Wagner, Fabiano, and Barrett Yoshida being at the top of that list. Um, why don't you walk us through th that experience? Because you even went to Canada to fight Fabiano. Hey yeah. guys, before before you do this, I just want to apologize to interrupt. Um, my wife worked uh, twelve hour shift today, and she has to get back up really pretty early. So I want to spend a little bit of time with her and stuff. You know, holding the newlywed thing. But um, you think, Jimmy? I just want to say that I love every one of you guys on the show, man. Rich and, and Jeff and Jen and Monty, I miss you guys. And uh, it's good to see your faces and talk to you a little bit. And uh, maybe we can do something with this again sometime soon. Lyle, yeah. I can't see your face, but uh, I love you too, brother. Thank you very much, Tim. Thanks for joining us. Great right, to Tim, see thanks, you, man. Excellent. All right, guys. Take care, Tim. Tim. Love you, man. Yeah. Jeff, uh, <laughs> yeah. Wendy Fabiano, Barrett Yoshida. Those are savage names. Yeah, it was like a weird. Uh, I fought Wagney Fabiano. Uh, well, Barrett, yeah, but Barrett. When I fought Barrett, he wasn't undefeated. Um, but I fought Wagney Fabiano. Um, was Barrett and Super Brawl? Barrett was Super Brawl. Then the Canadian, uh, Canadian guy. Uh, He'll come to me. I fought four undefeated black belts. Rafael Asunso was another one of them. Was it right after Stephane? that? What's that? Is Stefan the promoter, Canadian promoter? Yeah, that was him. He he yeah. wasn't for when I when I fought this uh, Apex was this was for 145 pound title. I fought uh, Wagney, and uh, so yeah, he was kind of the first of this like run of undefeated Brazilian. Pedro Silvera, that's another one. Yeah, well, he and he's not even he wasn't one of the four that I was talking about. But um, okay. an Ironheart crown fight, Ironheart fight. Um, uh, Carvalho. Yeah, Carvalho. Jesus, dude. <laughs> he was nine and zero when I fought him. Wagner was four and zero. Um, then I fought uh, a Sun Sao. He was undefeated. I don't know how many fights, and that was on our own show. Yep. Like I. I 
could have flew in somebody easier, but we flew in, <laughs> we flew in him. And I'm like, man, I stood up after I lost the, after I won that fight, I stood up on the mic and said, I lost that fight. And I asked Monty, I said, can we pay, can we pay him our, his uh, win purse? Because I don't feel like I won that fight. And, uh, you know, Monty's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's pay him his win purse, you know. But, but what I tell you, I said, I said, go back, go and, back watch and watch it. I did. Fight. Yeah, I won the fight. But I, at the time, you know, you feel beat up and you feel like. You, you know, did the right thing, dude. That's what you I did. I just felt like I lost. I felt like I lost. And I just, all my fans and friends were there and my team. And I said, I feel like I lost the fight. And I went in the locker room and paid him his, his win purse. But. Uh, Carbo uh, Wagney, you know, it was a weird thing with Wagney because I respect being from the jujitsu world. Like I have a lot of respect for guys that hold that rank that he did. And, you know, he was a little bit older than me and a little bit more decorated than me in jujitsu at that time. And I was like, man, this is going to be cool to fight him. And but he missed weight. He didn't show up to weigh-ins, and he missed weight by a couple pounds. And just he—it was very unprofessional. I just got really fucking resilient of him. Yeah, and Monty, Monty, if you remember too, I actually—that is the one and only time I made 145 pounds. Remember, I flew up there, yeah. I made weight, and then they declined me fighting it after me cutting, and, and didn't pay me. That was the worst part. Yeah, so, I've forgotten that. Oh, yeah, I was absolutely fierce, right? Because, I mean, I had to almost kill myself to make 45. So uh, just that whole Canadian scene up there at the time was very sketchy. Yeah. Very, very sketchy. Well, you had Stefan Patry, and then you went to, what, Mark Pavlich? So, yeah. yeah. We never did much with Pavlich. We did a lot with, um, you know, uh, with Steph. But it wasn't, it wasn't really him. I mean, I can remember... Uh, him, him giving a whole uh, uh, spiel about the ten nine, you know, the ten point must system and how it works and everything, and then the commission would come out. And they don't even use it. They just <laughs> picked a winner at the end. <laughs> you know, they had no scorecards. So, but go ahead, Jeff. You're didn't I mean to interrupt you. Oh no, I'm, I mean that was it. I, I fought him, and I just, you know, I I won the stand up. You get a takedown maybe one per round and just kind of hang on. He never tried to pass. He didn't do anything. I'd punch him from my back. You know, we'd get brought back to our feet maybe once per round. And like I'd hit him again. And it just was one of those fights. And eventually like, but again, he was, he did make weight, I think by a couple pounds. So like I won the title cause I won the fight, but he wouldn't have got the belt. If he yeah. But Jeff, you went to his hometown and got that. Yeah, I guess in my mind, I was like, "How can how can Toronto or how can uh, Montreal be the hometown for a Brazilian?" But I guess, <laughs> I guess it was. It's where he had his academy, you know. Yeah. To me, I was just I didn't care about that so much, and I had uh, I got I was pretty close with Sean Tompkins, you know, and uh, I I started helping him with Sam and and Hominick and Chris Rodesky and. Um, you know, so he was there with me, and he was he was in my corner too. And you know, we, we were kind of. I felt like I felt like one quarter Canadian, so I felt like I belonged. <laughs> you, know, you hang out with Sean Tompkins for a couple of weeks, and next thing you know, you feel like you're you're a Canadian. Now, but, Jeff, you actually went to Canada, fought another guy that was not from Canada in Canada, but pretty good guy, Ivan Menjivar. Oh yeah, that's the first fight. 
So I was fighting with, like, I was fighting on Monty's shows. I fought on his, like, Extreme Challenge Trials, and that's kind of, that was, like, late 97, and that got me, um, that got me, like, my first, quote, pro fight. And I, I won three fights in one night for Monty, and that was my, that was in a bar in, whatever it was, Stars and Stripes, stripes in, in Baddorf. And uh, I wasn't even old enough. I had to get, like, a mark on my hand because I wasn't old enough to be in the bar yet, you know? And uh, so I would always go fight for Monty. I fought that tournament. I fought um, Tony Dodolf, the guy we were talking about, the Navy SEAL who killed the guy. I fought uh, Phil John. I fought a few handful of fights for Monty without being under his management. And then... I called him and I said, hey, I want you to manage me. Like, I, I need somebody to get me fights. And he's like, well, you know, here's my deal. I take, you know, 20% of everything if you make $1,000 or whatever. Then he's like, I got to fight for you if you want. And he gave me the offer to fight Ivan Menjavar in Montreal. And he said, Jens can corner you, but, you know, we can't fly a corner. They're not going to fly a corner. They'll just fly you. But I got you 900 bucks. That way, you don't have to pay me 20. percent You could make 900, and you know, you know, I don't have to make money. It'll just be a fight. And recent, right before I fought Ivan, he fought 170 against Jason Black. Remember that? Like Ivan was like huge back then. And uh, so I went and fought him, and I lost the decision. Uh, but that was my first official fight under Monty's management. Yeah. And I was just kind of like, it was also a fight that told me like, man, I got to change some stuff up. I got to like do more grueling rounds and I got to do this and do that. Um, but I felt good. You know, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a shutout by any means. I had some good moments and I didn't really get punched much. I just couldn't get anything going. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but Jeff, look, Menjivar at the time, you really kind of got to look at him. It was before the 145-pound class really developed itself, and he was at the top of it. Like, that was more of, like, a number one. Like he, in my opinion, without putting anything on paper, he was probably in the top three in the entire world at that time, and you went, you know, to Canada to do it. Yeah. It was – I mean, I had no idea what I was getting into, and then – but I knew, I knew Jason Black and how tough he was, and I was just kind of like – my only hope was that, like, my in my mind it was like okay Jason is super tough and he beat him but if I could not get beat up I could probably get a submission uh, I just couldn't find any you know that was my first time where I really felt like I fought somebody that was super well rounded and like an athlete prior to that I'd fight like a really good athletic kickboxer or a really good athletic wrestler but they had one or the other you know they didn't have multiple facets of danger so it was good i mean that to me I, I lost the fight i came home and i said it's time to go and i went on some big win streaks and <laughs> changed things up he uh he might he might be the world's toughest bus driver right now he's uh he works for the uh, city of quebec driving a bus <laughs> dude i had breakfast with him i had breakfast with him and gsp and uh they didn't even speak english but we had like breakfast or something at some hotel was it there yeah or maybe we had some dinner after weigh-ins i forget but we like hung out and talked and i was like these guys are nice <laughs> that was my yeah, first time 
Hey, I got a quick question. I got a question. Uh, did either you did either uh, you or Rich ever ever fight in a tag team match? <laughs> I well, did. I don't know about Jeff. I don't think Jeff fought very much, man, but dude. I know I did. Dude, you know what's crazy about that fight is like we go over there and do this, and I have this little thirty-second moment, but that that fucking moment changed the whole course of my career because of my arm. Like I had this nerve damage that every time I bumped my arm from that point forward after they put the plate in, every time I bumped my arm, my arm would go paralyzed, numb, in pain, and I couldn't make a fist, I couldn't lift my arm. I had to fight multiple rounds in multiple fights like for years where I couldn't even throw a punch. And I had to wait till like it cleared, or I'd have to. I even timed out in the middle of a fight one time. I remember like one of our XFOs. I was like, "Time out, time out." The ref's like, "What?" I'm like, "Sorry, I'm used to sparring. Like, I couldn't even lift my arm up." And but I think six years later, I got the plate taken out, and uh, they said, "Yeah, it was not a good fix." But it was a bad break, man. Yeah. But Rich goes out. Rich goes out and goes, "Hey, I'm gonna soften him up for a while," and then. You can go in there because. Well, you know. here, real quick to interject, you you guys, because I, you know, I'm of course with you, but you guys are, Jeff, Jeff is constantly like fooling around, saying, "Yeah, those guys are too big for me. I don't think I'm gonna. I don't know. I think I'm just let you do it and fooling around like that." And you know, Rich is like, "Yeah, you better not. You better, you know, carry we're, your we're weight." We're getting paid the same last I checked. <laughs> we're split thirty five hundred dollars. <laughs> I think that's what we split, like three grand or something like that. Yeah. I think seventeen fifty a piece. And uh, so, so Rich, you, we had a guy Carlo Prater come on and said took a fight last minute, had a horrible dealing with a guy named Riza Madidi because wow. Riza was just such a hothead at weigh-ins that it, just, it went crazy. You fought him as well. What was your experience with Riza? Dude, so, so we're actually friends on social media. Uh, um, we actually hit each other up every now and then. And I'll, I'll be honest, if you would say, like, through my history of fighting, what's one of my favorite fights? And that's actually one of them. And, and, and the reason being was the, um, you know, obviously, and I mean, I, I feel even he knows that. Uh, uh, I think he's come and, and said that, actually. But... Um, you know, I got I got robbed on a decision out in Sweden, but uh, um, you know the energy exchanged in a in the fight was amazing. You know, and um, you know it's really neat about this sport. You know, and even with Jeff on here and Tim and Jen, I, I don't really know you as personally as as the other guys, but um, you know these are people you share life with, man. And it, it it's there's so much wrapped around the fight when you talk about. The investment, mentally, physically, the sacrifice, the sacrifice before, the sacrifice afterwards, um, the repercussions, the rewards, the, the everything that comes comes with the single event itself, um, you know, is it, very much a, a lasting notch in, in who you are, you know. So um, I, I really enjoyed that exchange with him. I'm an energy type fighter, meaning that I fight emotionally. Um, he's very much the same way. Um, and that was just a blast for me. You know, I mean, he's spitting sparks out at me. I'm doing the same thing prior to the fight, you know. Uh, we headbutt each other at weigh-ins, you know. I mean, it was just, 
he's an intense dude. I'm an intense dude. And, you know, it was one of those just, I mean, to be honest, like a dick measuring contest, you know, right from the start. Um, so I can appreciate guys who are like that. And I think still today he appreciates me as an opponent like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. The guy's a lot of fire um, and, and a showman, you know. So that's that's who he is. That's that's who I am. And he brought his personality to the table and, and felt I did the same. But it was it was a fun fight, man. I still show my boys that. And uh, I think that it was actually one of my best displays of, of grappling as well, too. I, I did some – we had some really amazing exchanges in that, that match. But, uh, yeah, it was a blast. And their organization, I, I, I haven't really kept up with it. Maybe somebody could chime in. But at the time, that, that was one of the top events uh, other than, like, Bellator and well, UFC sure. that I've ever fought in. Superior? Superior yeah. Challenge? Yeah, they're yeah, still going. I just – I just had a, a fight offer from them. Uh, they called me just like a week ago. Yeah. But they're not. They, they never really exploded. They were. They're doing good, but not not like KSW has or anything. Yeah. KSW is a freak show now. I mean, they're drawing. KSW is kind of doing the. You talk to anybody from Poland, the states become kind of pro wrestling for Puchanowski to yeah. kind of pat his records, but. Man, they're, they're they're packing the house. You know? Well, that's the big thing, right? Yeah. It's well, like pride, though. If you can have a fight or two that are spectacle and make money for everybody, I guess it's okay. But you know, you got to have you got to have some of the uh, realism, you know, to, for the people yeah. that are just really trying to make a career. Right. Right. Jen, what were some of your favorite moments during your fight career? Honestly, my the Buckner fight was one of my favorite moments. That was honestly, I felt like that got it gave women more respect fighting because I don't know. A lot of times, I, I felt in the sport a lot of times if you were really pretty and you could throw a straight punch, you got double credit. <laughs> You didn't have to be good, you just had to be pretty. Hey, there's Jen, there's nothing wrong with that. I'll chime into that right there. <laughs> I'm a fan of that model. <laughs> but it, it just... Jen, Jen do, you, do you remember when you fought the, the pretty blonde German girl? Yeah, I looked across and, the ring and she had makeup on. Yeah, and afterwards oh. I, on the radio it said, yeah, and there was some muscle chick that beat up on this pretty blonde. <laughs> I just remember looking across the ring and she had like makeup that. on, and I looked at my quarterman and thought, and I told him, I'm like, I am gonna beat the piss out of this girl. She has no idea what she's getting into. But that and the oh. terrible Rosa fight was actually a fun. Well, yeah, La Rosa really separated herself after that fight. Like she, I think that was probably one of the best things that ever happened to her career because she leveled up after that. Yeah. And and Buckner is is like somebody who's forgotten, but she's like she was part of a fighting couple. She was married to Jay Jack, and like yeah. really took the sport seriously. She was, at one point I thought was the, the most technical of the girls. Like she she was the really balanced attack. She was like uh, like Jeff said, Ivan like an Ivan Menjivar type, <laughs> you know, like really balanced. She was great. I thought Amanda Buckner was great. That's a great win for you, but. We would be remiss if we didn't mention Roxanne. Oh, never, I know. Never heard of her. <laughs> I don't know who that girl is. <laughs> well, well, why don't you tell us, uh, us 
about heading into the first fight because obviously you know um, the story you you were probably the number one woman in the world and you're you're heading into you know a fight where like it's funny because you said earlier and I'll let you talk you said earlier that you, when you got hit is when you woke up and Roxanne was kind of like a technique person who wasn't really going to hit you and I wonder if you ever woke up in that fight <laughs> why don't you yeah, take us through that's it kind of well, part of, with the first fight, and Monty can attest to this, I went through like five or six opponents. I honestly didn't even think I was going to be fighting. We would have probably 12 different fights a year fall through. And so I'd train and nothing would happen and it just got old. And I was not in shape for that fight. And I lost. But the well, second you fight... You won every, pretty much won every minute of that fight until you didn't. I mean, you were, you were, you were beating the tar out of her. I mean, this was, it was a one-sided fight, and then she just outlasted you. Well, I threw her in a triangle, a triangle choke, and I, and I just put the pressure on too hard, and my my legs were done after that. I, and that was one of the downfalls with training with all guys. Because it happened to me a couple different times. I trained with all guys, and they were big guys. So, like in my second fight, I threw a shoulder choke on a girl, and I couldn't get it. There was nothing there. I was used to something big being there, and she's skinny, and there's nothing there. Same with Roxanne. I couldn't get that triangle choke. I was used to just training with these big guys. So you didn't work on choking smaller people. And I, my legs were done after that. I, they were just completely done. But the second fight I did, I trained. And she got me. I think I just, I went in there too hard, too fast. And I was just going, going, going. And I was, I, I wore myself out. Plus, she just has a different style. She has, I, I don't know what it is, but she's got my number. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? It happens. That's why I said with Phil Jaws, it just moved forward. I'm like, I'm not yeah. gonna sit here and figure this out. Yeah. Sometimes you just gotta part ways. <laughs> that's what Matt Hughes said uh, with Hallman. I I asked Matt one time, wouldn't you like to get a shot of Hallman? He goes, hell no. He goes, I, he goes, dude, I'm not stupid. He goes, he's beat me twice in 20 seconds. He goes, I've had enough of him. He goes, he goes, I feel like I'm the only guy he can be. <laughs> you can go out and try to beat someone else. It's weird. It's, weird. it's really weird like that. And like fighting, like I think Rich, you're kind of talking about this in a in your last segment here, but and it kind of goes back to like Monty. You said everyone remembers where they were during 9/11, and not to compare in any way, but like for a fighter from our era, I think everything we do is remembered from what fight it was, like. 100%. When someone 100%. says, hey, remember that? And I'm like, wait a second. And I look at my re record and go, oh, yeah, that was around my fight with David Love. Yeah, or that was the time I fought this guy and that guy. And I could immediately transport myself to that moment and go, I know what I was thinking. I know what I was feeling. I know what I was eating. I know where I was. I know which, what house I was living in, what car I was driving. I remember who my training partners were. And, like, you just flash back. And, um, yeah, I don't. It, it is very, very weird to have that as your like 
I guess your uh, compass in life is just like what fight were you in? And I think that's a big difference from a lot of people today who like when they're fighting, they're fighting. When they're not training or fighting, they're promoting themselves. When they're not doing that, maybe they're living some normal life, but it's just so different, you know? They're, they're, it's same thing with kids. I mean, my kids, I always tell them like, hey, I didn't have a phone as your age, you know? And they're like, yeah, but if you had it, you'd be on it. I probably wouldn't. <laughs> you know, I'm not arguing with you. Good, like, good argument, kid. Yeah, like you can't, you can't even argue with them because they're right in everything they say. They they get it, but like it was just different. We just based our lives on the fight we were in and the moment we were in and the, the hill we were climbing, and you know. Yeah. Let me ask you, Jeff. While on that same path, and I am very thoughtful what you're saying. Uh, I think Rich mentioned, you know, the special fight he had in Sweden. And we had Jason Knight on. I don't know if you know Jason Knight. Uh, he fought Artem Lobov in that bare-knuckle fight that everybody watched. Yeah. And he said every fighter should have one fight like that. You know, not more. Maybe not, you know, a bunch of them. But one fight like that where you just give it. What, what was that one fight for you? Which is the one that you remember, yeah. like, Sorry. really sharing with your opponents? My nose is leaking. <laughs> my surgery. <laughs> but say, Jeff, are you on the mask? Are you on that CPAP machine? No, I, I just, I'm not. I just, uh, I've had zero airflow in my nose. Like, I've been mouth breathing for way too long. And, okay. Like, uh, ever yeah. since he met that bar on Monty's ring. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, I traced it back. Is there that. a lawsuit on Monty? <laughs> H got back. So I would say, like, um, my fight with Kid Yamamoto was changing for me because when I Jesus. fought him, I, so I fought Matt Sarah. Monty called me. He's like, hey, you got a, got a lightweight to fight Matt Sarah and, and your squad? And I'm like, me? He's like, well, you're fighting at featherweight. I'm like, dude, I'll fight Matt. Like, why not? He's like, well, it's a fight in seven days. Is it perfect? I can eat. So he goes, let me call Joe. And he goes, like, okay, cool. You're fighting Matt Sarah. Then I fought Matt. And uh, then I went and fought Kid. Then I fought Kid. And uh, I think this is the, yeah, is that order. Then I fought Kid. And I sat there in the locker room. I remember speaking of Sean Tompkins. I sat in the locker room with, like, a blanket or a hoodie over my head and, you know, I'm going through every wrongdoing in my life and every sin I ever sinned, you know, and I'm like, I don't deserve to be here, I don't deserve to win and I go out and I fight I clinch with him in the first, like, ten seconds and he throws me so hard and it, like, woke me up and it, like, uh, like, Jack, you were saying, you know, when you get hit, it's, you now you're, like, ready to fight kind of thing and it's like, I went in there kind of like, well, let's see what happens. And he just tosses me and I, I wake up. And for for the next two rounds, I just struggled for any, I couldn't even get a breath. He was like pounding my face the whole time. And I'm used to bigger guys hitting me. And now I'm fighting at 135 pounds. And I got this little dude, I couldn't even grab him. He just like, bam, bam, bam. And he's pinning my neck with the rope, bottom rope and he's hitting me and the ref is like, acting like he's trying to take him off of me like no you can't do that is a shooter fight he's like you can't do that I'm like 
then pull off of me. Like, don't let him keep hitting me. So I end up, like, getting beat up pretty bad from him for a couple rounds. And then in round three, I did good. And I I ended up hurting him pretty bad with a liver, like a kick to his ribs. And uh, I just, I think I won round three. Probably by two or three judges, I won round three. And I lost the fight, but I broke my nose and my orbitals were broke. I was so swollen up. And I thought after that, I'm like, man, from here on out, like, I can't lose again. I have to, like, change everything again. And I went back. So that was the moment for me where I was just like, all I ever wanted to do was fight Kid again. Speaking of rematches, I really wanted to fight him again, but it scared me to death, so I never really asked for it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I really want to fight him because I remember, like, my flight got delayed and I was stuck there a couple more days. And, and, uh, I call home and Sarah's like, oh yeah, I'm sure you're really upset being stuck in Hawaii. I'm like, I do not want to be here. You cannot go in public looking like this and have fun. Like, I want to go home. So I think my fight with Kid was was probably that moment for me where I just like, you know. Yeah. You learned a lot about yourself. Well, a lot about myself. And I, I dude, I like, I was wearing tap out shorts, like they're big board shorts. And I finally got like this reversal on him, and I, it like took me two rounds. And I finally get on top. I'm like, cool, I'm good. And he puts his foot in my shorts and lifts me up, and then just stands up. So I break away from him. And I take my shorts off and I throw him out into the into the ringside seats because now I had my under my my Valley Tudo shorts underneath. And I was mad that I was wearing baggy shorts because that's how he pushed me off me or pushed me off of him. And it was just like, God damn, I finally got on top. And now he's just my shorts and pushing me off. Oh, man, what a day. <laughs> what about you, Rich? What's your memory, your biggest memory? Man, it's it's weird because they, they're, they're, you know, all kind of special in their own little way and stuff. I mean, the obvious answer is, is, is my Melvin fight, you know, just because there was so oh. much. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much energy that was involved in that, you know. But uh, um, I'll tell you, to be honest, one that a lot of people might know about, it was actually the uh, – and, and first of all, Monty, just just thank you for the opportunity and the life experience. And I'm sure Jeff feels the same way, right? But, like, you know, fighting in Japan for as long as we did, like, with the Zest organization, like, that was really special, like you know, and and, and uh, it's it's amazing, and, and those guys I still interact with as well too. Because again, you know, I, I have a piece of them, they have a piece of me, right? And there's a mutual respect on that. And they just had a little reunion with a bunch of those guys yes. from the six from the sixteen. We both tournament. we both commented, remember? Yeah, yeah. Hey, no how doubt. can you have a reunion without us? <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, um, but you know, my fight against Katani meant a lot to me, to be honest, uh, um, because again. I'm very prideful, and, uh, um, you know, when, when Jeff got hurt in that match and they just kind of wore me out from the rules, you know, brought me in deep water where they were just kept tagging out. They yeah, saw Monty, paid me. Monty paid me for that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Monty paid me extra to make you fight and break my arm. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I wanted him to be tested. Yeah, but uh, um, you know, the, he he kind of rode the coattails, uh, uh, my coattails for for that victory on me during that tag team match, and um, 
you know, the, that that match is real important to me just because that, that bothered me. And, uh, um, you know, the respect that the organization showed me uh, once I beat him um, was really awesome. You know, they, they wanted me to change gloves from uh, blue to red because that's like a symbolic color for them. Um, and just, they were like, you're a guy, you're a guy. And I mean, I, I broke my orbital against Marcus Aurelio in the finals, but, um, you know, that, that whole event, man, just the tournament format and stuff, yeah. it was just, it was really special, man. And I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. We're, so we're, there, there's, there's a, there's a the 1.0 model. Oh, 2.0. <laughs> hey, there we go. What about you, Jen? What's your moment? <clears throat> there's so many, it's, it's hard to say. I, I do remember like a defining moment for me was it was in the Buckner fight when she hit me and I was unconscious and Hughes was the ref. I was unconscious on my feet. <laughs> I don't remember a lot of that fight, but I remember Hughes telling me before the fight he didn't like to watch girls fight and he didn't like to see him take damage. So the only thing I'm thinking is Please don't stop the fight. Please don't. And I don't even know what's going on. All I see is black. But apparently, I was still punching. <laughs> yeah. yeah Jim, what about was with that Angela Rastad, and you had a torn ACL? Yeah. I didn't. You know, I could tell when watching. I, it, you you weren't the same. I, what the hell's going on? And then afterwards, you told me, "Yeah, I'm a, I have a torn ACL." Well, I was training while I was training. Every time I'd throw a right hand, I'd fall on my face. And I kept asking the guys, what's going on? And they said, does it hurt? I said, no. And they said, well, then you're fine. Just keep fighting. And so I kept training and, and I went in there and fought. But every time I pushed forward, my knee would give out. And it's because I completely tore my ACL in half. And I did it like two months prior to the fight. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You know, Rich, I'm, I'm going to make you tell the Goliath story. Again, just because that's another one of your uh, heroic performances. Uh, that was in that Russia vs. USA show. Monty was there. And, uh, I, I, you know, it was Russia vs. USA. I think Rich was mid-card against Sergei Goliath. And the Americans started doing good. The first guy won. Justin Eilers got thrown out of the ring by his guy. Came back and knocked him out. Um, Ebersole fought a war. And it was like Rich Rich goes out and has a really rough first round, and he's got to at some point I, go I like that. <laughs> that. That was a nice way to say that. <laughs> and, and and he go and I'm sure at some point he had to have one of those moments where he said to himself, "Uh, uh-uh, I'm not going to be the first American to take a loss on this card." So I'll let you take it away, Rich. Yeah, no, it actually that probably wasn't the case as much as. He did like, and I can't believe the fight went out like that's that's how rigged that was, right? Like he literally, I, I finally got this dude down, right? And I was like, thank you, baby Jesus, you know. Uh, I, I was leveled probably like three or four times with some really big shots. He's super, super quick. Uh, he was a European kickboxer, Muay Thai champ, but he was really good at punching going backwards. And being that he was so long and uh, he knew how to use his length, um, I really had. Tr- trouble with kind of, uh, um, you know, hunting him down to get, get him to the ground. And uh, um, when I finally established side mount, I could see a just big difference in physicality. I was like, yes, okay, now I'm going to drown this dude. Um, he wound up hitting me with like illegal knees to the back of the head. 
So they stopped the fight, you know, and I'm gushing, you know, I'm, I'm bleeding pretty bad out of the back of my head. And um, they put us back down in the position, said it was like a, a, a language barrier. He didn't understand the rules. And then it does it again, like three or four times. And then you see my whole face, like, it honestly, for me, meant like, I was always a cool person that likes this fighting was a, was a sport. There's some people that fight, especially now you watch a lot of guys, like it actually looks like a street fight, you know? I really was very calm when I fought, cool, collected. And I'll tell you, it was honestly the first time I brought it back to old street fight. Like I just lost my shit. And uh, um, you know, that's where it kind of changed over for me and stuff. But again, a, a total emotional sport. We're, we're we're buddies on social media. <laughs> I enjoy watching his life. He does the same with me, you know. But um, man, that was a uh, um, and actually, what's crazy? My eye stayed dilated for like three months after that. <laughs> oh, man. Just get neat in the back of the head. So uh, um, you know, that goes back to the the, the the neurological damage. I'm sure that will come later on in life. Uh, hopefully not. So, but uh, um, but yeah, man, it was a great fight, great event. Do any of you guys use psilocybin in order to help combat the effects of uh, concussions? Do what? Do any of you, any of the three of you, use psilocybin mushrooms in order to combat uh, the effects of concussions? No, I've never heard of that. Actually. Wait, who are you? <laughs> no, not anymore. Not anymore. Like who? No, no. I I microdose. I love it. I love microdosing. Yeah, no, I, 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 I've heard some stuff about it, but I don't. I mean, I, I have good day. I have days sometimes where I'm, you know, I think I'm just like forgetting stuff because of my busy schedule. And other days, I feel like I'm the, I can remember everything, you know. Um, so I don't basically, know. when I don't want to listen to my wife, I use that as an excuse. I'm sure she won't watch this. So I don't mind saying it, but. <laughs> I guess script. being a girl and fighting, I, I didn't have to deal with that because most girls don't hit as hard. I never had a concussion. Wow. Well, good for you. That's good. Yeah, I, I've had some concussions, and I think too, just um, the sparring. You know, the sparring was like. There's a lot of guys now that are like smarter, not harder. They're gonna train really. Right. Yeah, they don't. They don't even really. I, I hear a lot of camps that, you know, from guys that they don't even really full spar hardly ever. And, and that's, I mean, when you look back at it, and especially because, like, I remember when I was introduced to the military fighting system, and you know, and I'm sure Jeff feels probably the same way. When we went up there, you know, it was like, okay, well, every practice is a real fight. And when I started trying to promote guys and really create a culture here in Louisiana, I stole some of that mentality. And, uh, um, you know, every single Sunday we had live fighting at my gym. And um, it was funny because the ER actually knew us because like guys, we were the only ones that trained like that. Nobody else around uh, knew that. So we would get guys that would come and then they would come in to try to prove a point. And, and of course we would do the same, you know, and literally, we would just take a rolls of paper towels because everybody would always get cut because uh, we didn't train with headgear either. Um, so literally, we just wrap paper towels around their head, put tape around it, the time, the smiley face, and hey, the ER's right down the road, you know. And, and I trained that way for 10 years, you know, like 
There's there's nothing healthy about that. There's nothing healthy about it. And out here, like I would go, my boxing coach Doug, he would take me to the city, and we'd go to Windy City, and I'd spar with all these pros. Jesus. And when you got like 16 ounce gloves and headgear, and you're sparring with, you know, guys that have 10, 20 pro fights, and they're, you know, they're city kids, they're boxers, and they just, they have a different snap of their punch, and you're just like thud thud, you're like. Next thing you know, you're five, six years deep into that, and you're just doing it every week. I'm going down and training with guys, and I'm bringing guys in. So it's like the MMA sparring. I would get cuts, and you'd get headaches, and you'd get all these things. But when you'd go box, it was like this different impact to the brain. And I think a lot of guys that have good careers, they end up being able to do sparring once a week in camp, and then they fight two, three times a year, if that, and then they don't have to spar the rest of the time. Yeah. For myself, and I'm sure you too, Rich, you know, and I don't know, Jen, like if other girls or other people were coming up, but like you end up having to be the sparring partner for every fighter that I had. You know, for five different weight classes, you're being the bo an extra body or the body for sparring that week, even though I'm not fighting for three months. I'm sparring every week, twice a week, one day boxing only, the other day full MMA, full gear, and it's like you never have a day without a headache, and I think that those moments are the ones that hurt you more than fighting, because in fighting, you get cut, you get a broken bone, you take impact, but it's more like... Uh, superficial because the punches slide off or it's the one that puts you out you know whereas yeah, it it's, it's tough I actually have a, a student of mine who's a uh, uh, um, prior student but a uh, uh, very good personal friends and he has severe Parkinson's right now you know and it's it's tough not to take some accountability for that you know what I'm saying I mean uh, you never know what the full reason for that is you know what I'm saying but uh, um, you know you look back at, at some of the guys that trained with me and did that journey and just aren't doing well and and you know at the end of the day i gotta kind of sleep with that you know and i'm sure some other coaches kind of from that uh error and genre feel the same way but um you know it's just what we didn't know anything at the time right it was like just pioneering so you did what the joneses did and if they were successful doing that that's what you did you know what i'm saying uh and that's what you thought to compete so uh, um you know in a way it's, it's better for the guys now but there was definitely more of a sacrifice, I think, by uh, uh, the the first wave of fighters um, that you'll never see again, and uh, uh, you know maybe for the best. Yeah, and I think too, though, like what what you'll get somebody retiring from the UFC at twelve and six record, and they have like they were a flash in the pan, and they made big noise, and they made good money, and they're like, oh, I'm retiring. And yeah. then out. And I have no respect for that, actually. <laughs> and just like, well, neither do I. But so I'm just sitting there going, okay, all of these guys, like, if you're like Max Holloway, Max Holloway can say, I'm going to train smarter, not harder, because Max spent his whole career grinding, and now he's like, okay, now I have a high fight IQ. Now I know how to fight. I'm going to train smart. Even like Connor, he said, you know, I I try not to take the damage. Okay, train smart, but you know what got them where they were was the grind. And a lot of people now they they're amateurs still, and they don't even know what they're made of. 
and you learn what you're made of in the gym. We got to learn what we were made of in the gym. We got to learn what we were made of in small shows across the country, across the North America, wherever you're going to fight and build your, your experience. But you're, you're learning about yourself. You're learning what you're made of by hard fights and in the gym and out of the gym. If you're just like, oh, Conor McGregor is making millions because he's, he's training smart, not hard. And he's training like without contact or... I think Max Holloway was saying recently, like a couple of years ago at least, that he was going to transition from hard sparring. It's like, you can do that when you know how to fight. You can do that when you made it, but you can't do that prematurely because you're going to get tested and you're not going to know what you're made of. Well, and you don't know what it's like to take a punch. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to get out there. That and in the so, so Jeff, I, I do work for the Fight Pass, a couple of the different organizations. There's several people that fight for them that are 5-0, 6-0, 7-0, where you combine all of their opponents' records, and it's like 3-24. and 24. Oh, Like, they've yeah. never been punched in the face before, and they're on the UFC radar. Isn't that crazy? And I can't get a fight against any of them on any of those shows. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was like five years. Right. Yeah. right. Yeah, I know. Like most of my UFC... It's better for them. It, I, you may not respect them, but... It's better, for them, it's, it's better for them. I mean, I didn't take the damage you guys did with sparring, but my neck and back are so jacked up just from training with guys who were yanking on my heads all my head all the time, throwing me around. You know, because they were just so big, they didn't know any better. Sparring, they didn't do it as much, but wrestling, they were just yanking on my head, but. Yeah. I mean, somebody has to be the guinea pig that makes it better for everyone else. So, Jeff, you've actually had your own sparring, had some amazing people in your gym, Palazuski, you know, Sunshine, Joey Deal. You traveled to Militic to spar there, and then you also traveled to Canada to spar with the Team Tompkins guys. Yeah. What, were they all kind of similar, or was there a, a difference between the three camps? Well, uh, I was going to boxing gyms before I went to Pat's, like I, but I wasn't going a lot. I would go, you know, a few times a year for a couple of years, and I was like, okay, this is what it's like, you know, because I was trained to box also. You know, I ended up having, like, I don't know, 13 amateurs and five pro boxing, but when I got to Pat's, I was just like, holy shit, these guys are animals, like, and then I just quickly, like Rich said earlier, I went home and said, okay, guys, we got to... If we're going to be relevant, we got to train like this. So I'm going to shift pro practices to be, or MMA practice to be like this. And, uh, you know, we'll, we have to use classes to get better, and we're going to use training sessions to push ourselves. So, you know, Pat, Pat was instrumental in that because he was running a hard, hard camp. I mean, it was just how it was. But at the same time, when I went to Canada, uh, my first trip to Canada, I was brought in to help get Mark Hominick ready for uh, a rematch against Shane Rice and TKO to win his belt back. And Shane Rice was a brown belt, like Pan Am champion jiu-jitsu and had submitted Mark and took his belt. So Sean asked me if I would come in and help. And at that point, we'd all kind of met each other and trained a little bit. So I brought Bart, and Bart did... Sp 
Bart sparred with them, and Sean ran hell. Like, I was there to coach, and I wasn't there to train, so I was just, like, not mixing it up. I was just going to let Bart spar because he had a fight coming up. I didn't. Well, Bart Kozuski for everybody. Yeah, Bart Kozuski, yeah. So I let him do spar, and he, him and Chris Wardeski and Mark Hominick and Sam Stout, I mean, they grinded it out. And it was kickboxing-based, but it was the same grind as Militic without the grappling. But then I said, hey, you know, we're fighting, we're getting ready for MMA fights. we got to include takedowns in a couple of these practices. So then we did that, and that's where we were able to, like, start talking with, like, Sam and Mark about needing jiu-jitsu and takedown defense. And, of course, they were working on stuff as, as it was, and they were, you know, tough as nails. So, like, they were willing to do whatever, but they were... Team Tompkins guys, they were no joke, man. They were putting work. They were doing, they were doing what Team Militage was. The difference was, you had good wrestlers and good grapplers that were sparring like that at Pat's, and at Sean's the grappling was more fresh. They just were used to the sparring rounds. Well, if you look at Tompkins as well, he made an international name for himself with everybody that lived within driving distance of his chip. Yeah. That's incredible. That's yeah. incredible. He, he did. That's how he made his name. I mean, I did the same thing. I'm in a town oh, of 20,000 people. But Sean, and I did it because I was a fighter, too. You know, Sean wasn't fighting, so he solely did it as a coach, you know. Whereas, like, you know, Pat's team, he his team existed because Pat Militage existed. You know, and, and he was a good fighter himself, and he was able to get fights. And, you know, obviously Monty's instrumental in all of that. But, like, when you're a fighter and a coach, you got, like, a double, double whammy there. You get good connections or good exposure. But when you're just a coach like Sean, who I think Sean tried MMA, you know, it was like 0-2. Yeah. You know, so yeah. he didn't have, like, much of a record. But at the time when he got in, he was still a kickboxer trying to prove he could win in a fight with no rules. Um, so I think, like, had Sean, you know, waited a few years, grappled a little bit, he probably would have done pretty well. But, you know, he chose to be a coach. That was his sacrifice. You know? Jen, let me, let me jump in and ask you, Jen, since we're talking about coaches. You mentioned Griffin Reyna. We talked about a little bit about... Now, was it Griffin with Walt Bayless? What can you tell us about Walt as a kind of legendary figure from the 90s out in Utah? I actually only trained with Walt for six months before he moved, and then <clears throat> Griff was running the gym. But I will tell I mean, he was a hilarious gentleman. And I've watched, like, five different guys try to submit him at the same time and him just throw them around. And these aren't guys that don't know what they're doing. Walt's super skilled. Walt is one of those guys that is good at whatever he does. And that's part of the problem. He's just automatically good at it. So he just gives it up and moves on to something else. But he was, he, he was pretty good. Yeah, okay. That's Walt, cool. That's good. Walt's a fellow Pedro Sauer guy as well. Well, yeah, kind of. I mean, I've been hearing Walt's name since I was 18 years old. Um, well, and so that's kind of a little rivalry there. <laughs> it was. It was a little rivalry. Like, 
But Pedro but Bayless has... went in there a couple times just to train with him, like four or five times, and then he tried to claim Bayless as his Well, team. we had Pedro on. And, yeah. and Jeff, he, you should listen to that in regards to his words about that of yourself. No, I well, didn't. Well, I was standing right there when Walt walked up to Pedro because I, I just started training with Walt, and it was weird. I just started training with Walt, and I went to a wrestling tournament, and Pedro stopped me and gave me a card, and I said, oh, no, I'm training with Walt. And he said, oh, that's my student. And I said, I ran into Walt that night, and I was like, hey, I met your instructor. I had no idea this was going on. I had no idea this rivalry, but I'm like, yeah, I met your instructor. And he said, what? And then there was some wrestling thing at Pedro's gym, and Walt walked right up to him and said, how come you're telling people I'm your student? And he said, oh, I never said that. And so I I don't know. Well, he's a black belt under Pedro. Yeah, but no. not at the time. Walt? Um, so here, this is uh, here. It's on video. So this isn't me guessing. So Pedro said that Walt for private lessons <clears throat> the entire time. Like he never took a class, but he did privates all the way up to black belt under Pedro. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I know he did private classes, and I know Pedro trained him. I'm saying, like from a student standpoint, like I would never meet with Walt. Gotcha. You know, and that's the, that. And I, I saw point. Walt confront Pedro, and Pedro said, "No, I never told anyone you were my student." Okay. But I know that Walt uh, met up with him four or five times. I know Walt was doing privates with Pedro, so when yeah. Pedro says it's he my said student, four or five he, times. I don't think he's claiming him like I taught him everything he knows. I think you know he's working with him and. You know, you do if you tutor somebody five six times, you're tutoring them five six times. It's so who knows? But that's the sound. I don't know either. I don't know what happened. I don't right. have like uh, I don't. I don't know, and nor do I care. I don't have a like, fight I, in it. No. I just saw what I saw. Okay. Yeah, that's I've been hearing Walt Bayless's name since I was 18 years old, and I, a lot of you know Walt's guys would come and train. And I would I would know that they were there, and Pedro would make it very clear, hey, the Walt Bayless's guys are visiting, you know, let's let's have some fun. And that was just basically like, let it go, you know, <laughs> like let it rip. And like, so yeah, it was nothing to me. It was nothing but good because we just all. It was drink. a good rivalry. It was. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. And and Jen, okay. I got a, another question, quick one for you from the fans. We got a bunch of people that are following along there, including Crowbar and. Some of our usual suspects. Crowbar wants to know if the IFC ever gave you a belt for that that uh, title win that you have there. If I took home a belt? Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think you'd be Judy Neff in the IFC for yeah, their I work. Don't, I don't think I I don't think so. I don't, I don't know. Think so. I don't I don't think they gave me a belt. But honestly, okay. what a belt. Okay. It doesn't. I mean, I I had his title, but. I mean, who cares if you have a belt? <laughs> All the guys do. <laughs> I won, and, right. I, and honestly, that was—I thought that was going to be the hardest fight in my career, but it really wasn't. <laughs> I yeah. was kind of surprised. I just got that reversal when she came in, and I don't think she was used to being on bottom. And she freaked out when she was on bottom. She yeah. was used to being on top. 
Yeah, I walked yeah. in. I walked in. She uh, she fought her hook and shit. I walked in to uh, the workout room that we had reserved, and she had her husband on her back, and she was doing squats. He's three hundred pounds. Oh, when I looked across the ring and I saw her, I was like, "Oh my!" I, and I told Monty because uh, I didn't realize it was a title fight till I got there. But I told Monty, "I'm like, mm, I don't know about this one." He goes, "You think you're gonna lose?" I go, "No, but I think I'm gonna take a beating in the process." <laughs> and that's the only time, I, one of the only times, I left a fight without a black eye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you, you. You were definitely better skilled than her, but uh, but uh, yeah. So no belt, crowbar. There's no belt from the IFC. Why don't you track them down? Did, did for you us. ever deal with Jason Knight or Alan Belcher and that crew? Yeah, you, I used to manage Alan. I was the one that that brought him into the UFC. Um, you know, brought him to the first show in Ireland and introduced him to uh, um to Dana and uh, at that UFC and he actually when he came down from Arkansas he kind of stayed with me a little bit him and another guy Danny I can't remember his name really but um but yeah so uh, um so yeah they 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 worked under me for a little bit and then he just kind of we separated ways what about Joe Ancona did you ever do business with Joe <laughs> the butcher boy, uh, yeah. old school kickboxer, uh, uh, like eighties uh, style kickboxer. Uh, I wouldn't say really did business. I hosted a show or two um, at his event, uh, uh, place of business, uh, but I wouldn't say necessarily like business. But uh, um, no, good guy, man. Just old school, uh, uh, hard nosed guy. Money, what about yourself? With with all these guys, when we ask them their favorite moments, what's what's yours? What was your defining moment as a promoter and manager? No, oh, jeez, um, the one moment. Don't get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, shit. I got to summarize thirty years of this. Um, I thought when I was in Japan and and uh, as uh, part of M1 Global, we put on Yarinoka. And we had, you know, whatever it was, 40,000, 50,000 people. And uh, I had to get in the ring and, uh, and say something to greet the people. And that was the first time that I was flying over there and I was, I was telling the guys from New York, I said, you know, I'm, I'm pretty popular in Japan. Because at that time I had Rings USA, so I had a TV show there, and uh, and I'd been bringing guys over for quite some time, and they said, "Oh, great!" And I said, "I don't think they realize. No, it's actually a pretty big deal." And when I when we came through customs, there were three TV stations there shooting me arriving in Japan, and then they followed us. You know how they jump in their little cars and chase you. And when I got to the hotel, Anoki came out to greet us and shook my hand and all that. He, you know, he liked to get in pictures. And they took a picture of all of us. And the next day, we're on the front page of the Tokyo Times, the biggest newspaper in the world. And, it, and the translation was, uh, Monty to why? And they knew we were doing something big because uh, Fedor came with us and stuff. 
But I got to say that at that at that time, well, I really felt like I kind of made it, you know, uh, bigger than what I I ever thought I would get. And then uh, when I came home, uh, Missy had taped the the event, so I I I, uh, I said, oh, I want to see I want to see it. So I I see I see myself getting through the ropes, and I look I go, Jesus, Missy, I go. God damn, am I fat? And uh, <laughs> and she's trying to be nice, and she goes, "Well, you know, the camera adds ten pounds." And I go, "Well, how many freaking cameras are on me?" <laughs> I, I, I look I, like I, I'm I, like eighty pounds bigger than I thought I was. And, but I had a I had a suit on and everything too, which doesn't really fit my body. But uh, <laughs> I I think that situation. I mean, that was pretty cool. Like I thought I made it. Um, I think the most the, the most exciting fight that I yet was a part of was uh, the first uh, Hughes Trig fight. That one was just to me, I, I you know where he's done, he's finished. I'm I, I'm in the locker room, not the corner at that time. But I'm in the locker room watching it, and I'm like, oh damn, he's got the choke in, it's over. And how in the world he got out of that choke and picked Trig up and ran him across the ring. That was just the most crazy, exciting, you know, thing. Uh, just crazy. And, you know, of course, I was close to Matt because he lived with us for a year and a half and and stuff like that. And But uh, that was just one of the most crazy fights. And I hear lots of people say that that's one of their favorite all-time fights. Yeah, uh, it was pretty cool, man, that fight. It was just, I mean, that was... And then... And then they did the rematch and the banter between the two. It's like, uh, you know, I mean, Matt would say, uh, hey, hey, Trig, maybe you should work on that, work on that rear choke before, you, before this one and shit, you know, just back and forth, you know. It was, it was really something. And Trig was, Trig was a hell of a fighter. Yeah, he, that's he the thing. Might have been the second best guy in the world at that weight. But yeah. Matt was just in his way at that time. So, Monty, you're the best storyteller I know. Why don't you tell a story about each of us? Oh, gee, many. I um, there, God, there's so many with you guys. I will Good say call, this Jack. about I will say this about all you guys. The one thing that made that made my job easy and made it fun back then is none of you guys picked your fights. Um, you know, I mean, I, I can I can remember telling Rich. Why do you want to fight that guy? And, and he goes, because no one else wants to. I'm like, but that's stupid. That's not how it works. Oh, yeah. I, I want to remember that. that who yeah, wasn't too smart. I, I actually, uh, um, I, I tell that to my younger wrestlers, actually, when we do class. But uh, I'm very proud to say that I never pulled out of one fight for anything. I never kept, they never rescheduled me in, in, you know, 13 years of fighting, you know, and, 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 Close to seventy pro fights. I've never pulled out of one fight. Yeah, who was who was the really good guy from Vegas that you one of your last fights in UFC? The wrestler. Oh, Gray Maynard. Yeah, Maynard. Yeah, you'd won like six in a row or something, and I'm like, dude, we're on a streak. Yeah, I want to fight Maynard. No, why do you want to do that? Yeah, that was just not very smart. <laughs> um, and and yeah. then the UFC, the UFC told me when they cut Rich. I go, how can you do that? He's won like six out of seven. 
And he goes, he's killing us. He keeps, because that was when you would beat Johnson. You know, you had all these big wins. And he goes, they said, every contender we try to bring up, Rich keeps knocking them off. Yeah. And they go, he's not going to win the title because of, you know, the, the matchups with who was there. But he can beat everyone else. And he's ruining our division. Well, and if you, if you remember, Monty, I had a really unique contract. Thank you for that. But um, from the Ultimate Fighter, my pay doubled on every win, so I was a huge <laughs> liability. I was a huge lot financial liability as well. <laughs> Gotta love that. Yeah, but that was one of the. I remember, then, real quick on you, I, uh, one of the things I remember was uh, on the East Coast when you tore your ACL in the second at the end of the second round, and you came back and you that's it, I'm done. And I said, well, hold on, hold on, and I ran around the ring and I. I Sylvester was there, so it had to be New Jersey, and I, you could see the scoring. So I went back and I go, "Yeah, you're up two, you're up two rounds to none." I go, "All you got to do is just not get finished in the third round." And remember, it was a tournament. That's fantastic. Not only did you win pretty good money, but you could go on, and you go, "I can do that." And we won. We won. The, That's phenomenal. The decision. That is awesome. Yeah. Slick move. I mentioned that to my little sons too when they're a little weak-minded and they want to quit on things and stuff like that. Yeah, I'm talking to you. You heard me. <laughs> so the thing, uh, the thing with Jeff, what with Jeff, we had kind of a an interesting relationship because he he was always going to be more than a fighter. I knew that. Richie was the same. But with Jeff, I knew that because of where he lived we were going to do more than just fighter manager and and we ended up starting xfo and and you know a lot of his guys that he was training i would take over managing and try to help them and we we just had a whole little thing going there and that was you know i always looked for those type of guys it, not everyone can that fights can 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 do all the other things you know knows how to get a crowd there knows how to manage knows how to Promote. It's a you know, it's a it's a pretty rare uh, skill set to be able to, to to do all that stuff and also fight. You know, so that was the thing with Jeff. He was to me was always more um, and another guy that was always fighting out of his division. Um, you know, always always fighting you know bigger guys and stuff. Um, Jennifer, was, you know, the, you, sorry, mine you. You taught me that though. Like I, we were actually on our flight back from Japan from our tag team match when I said, "Hey, Monty, um, I think you had one upgrade that could go with you up at the first class or something." So <laughs> I went with you. I don't know. And the way there, or the way back, one one or the other. And I said, "Hey, you know, I I got a team of guys. We got to build up." So like everything that yeah, I had the desire and the willingness to do it. But you, you know, you mentored me through that. And I'm sure you have rich in lots of ways, and like, you know, we couldn't just like guess if we had to figure it out. We would have, you know, would have taken us twice as long, and we would have lost half, double as much, you know. So it was just a really good synergy. And um, when it came to fighting, yeah, same as Rich, I always wanted the better guy, you know. And I think that that's appealing to you to not have somebody sit there and go, yeah, no, I don't want to fight that guy, like it. I'm not ready for him. I, I better wait. You know, I was more like feed me whoever you can get. Yeah. And yeah. And that yeah. was and for us. It, it, I'll tell you. You know, I've had both. 
I, I've had guys that have said, I just want to be 32-0 and 0 and fight turds. You know, <laughs> and I'm like, well, I, I'm not interested in managing you. But, but uh, you, as a manager, you certainly can appreciate the guys who want the harder fights. And, and that's what made back then so much more fun than, than now. I mean, it was, that was a lot of fun traveling around. And, and uh, all of you guys, I, I went to a lot of your fights as, uh, along with your corner and stuff like that. So I traveled with, with you guys quite a bit. I mean, to Japan and places. And I, I don't think I missed one of Jennifer's fights. I think I, I went to every one. No, you just that one that Justin made fun of me. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I was doing the submission wrong, and it was quiet, and Justin started laughing at me and announced to everyone I was doing it wrong. <laughs> Jeff, how many fights did you have at 135? Uh, maybe 15. Oh, wait. Imagine what your record would look like if your entire career was at 135 with opponents that size. It would, uh, yeah, you know, I did the one fight at 125 that almost killed me. That's insane. You know, nowadays, like, can't even imagine that. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, usually when you get older, you go up in weight, but, like, the opportunities were presenting itself and I, I remember after I fought Mike Brown I was like dude I'm so fucking small compared to him like I don't feel strong I feel strong in the gym I feel strong when I fight and then I fight Mike Brown I felt like weak and I'm like I, I work really hard I don't know if I can get any stronger you know so I thought like this is probably and I also fought Piquino that night I think and uh, Alexander Nagura uh, Aldo made his debut on the WC same night, and I'm like, in Sacramento, I said, like, I'm going to drop weight. <laughs> Probably going to get get down while I can. I had, a, you know, struggles at 35, too. I mean, my best runs were at 45, but, you know. Yeah, yeah but there's basically because the 135-pound weight class just wasn't as developed. Your best runs were there, but, like, Matt Brown even said he had more issues with you than he had Uriah Faber. And you said that in our interview. I mean, I just had other threats. You know, Uriah's scrappy and tough, and, you know, that was another fight that got away from me. But, fuck, what are you going to do, man? It's like, go, we can, I'll go into a depression if we keep talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just impressive, dude. From our standpoint, it's something that, you know, when it gets brought up, we always mention you were always outside of your weight class. And, you know, people talk about Dan Henderson being one of the greatest ever because he, you know, majority of his fights are outside of his weight class. Well, you can say that about yourself as well. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate that. But, Rich, but, what was the most you ever weighed after? How much was the most weight you ever put on after a fight? Because <laughs> I know I, you I, used to be, come back as a monster. Yeah, I, I used to roll, after my weight cut, I would roll up to, like, back to 89 sometimes, 85, 89 or so from 55 in 24 30, hours. 35 pounds back on. It's crazy. That is crazy. Well, when I fought on your show at 125, I weigh in at 125.7. Day of the fight, I'm 153. That's it. And my guy missed weight by three pounds. <laughs> I said, it's all, I go, it's all good, man. Buy me a beer. Gotta go. 
I had a whole whole buffet in my room. I'm like, I gotta go. <laughs> yeah, luckily my my sons really get to capitalize off of that for wrestling because they they really have a uh, um, kind of step of head of everybody for for weight cutting and stuff like that. You know, yeah. doing it properly, of course. You know what I'm saying, but. Um, it's it just they really have a, a head above everybody but when it comes to that just in the years that I've done that lot of little tricks and stuff definitely. do you have any thoughts of MMA or not so, so my youngest son Cash he, he's fought in two MMA matches already he had one knockout from a, a belly a, a belly to back suplex and then another one from a check hook <laughs> There was there was this karate school in a, a place called Picayune, Mississippi. And there's like, and this guy was like, "Hell, there's no tough kids that want to fight none of my kids," you know. So uh, my one friend's like, "Hey, I think I know a guy." So what's funny is I go to weigh-ins, right? And uh, uh, my little guy's so funny, man. Like I'm telling you, like this kid's a character. His name's Cash. So uh, um, so anyway. His kid misses weight by 10 pounds, right? Cash is 70 pounds, right? So, I mean, that's substantial when you're talking about that weight ratio. And uh, the kid's mom's like, well, you know, he, he had a big breakfast today. And Cash goes, well, what do you eat for the rest of the week? You know? so, <laughs> I'm just laughing, right? So, uh, anyway, the, this guy who's kind of, he's putting on fights for Christ. That's what he's calling it anyway, right? Like, I'm sure Jesus loves to see little kids beat the shit out of each other. So, uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, it's funny. He's like, man, my, my parents are all scared of this guy named Rich. He looks all serious over there. And his kid's like looking all mean <laughs> but he's like look I don't, maybe you should google rich and his kids just to kind of understand who you're dealing with here <laughs> but they just had no idea but uh um, it was a fun experience and like people some people ask me like rich i can't believe you let your kid fight like why would you do that and i'm like well honestly it's not something i would let him do regularly but the fact that I wanted to see, right, why not, you're, right, boys are going to fight. That's what they're going to do at a young age. So why not have his first fight in a controlled environment where I can actually watch that, see how he handles himself, and give him a piece of confidence where if it ever does happen in the real world, he's one step ahead of experiencing that on his own by himself. You know what I'm saying? So that was kind of my idea behind it. Really wasn't necessary. Early, you know, hey, look, this is the start of his MMA career path, but uh, he, he he did amazing, to be honest. I mean, he, he mixed his wrestling up with his boxing, just just crazy. And if he wants to do it, my younger son will definitely be more talented than my older son with it. Hey, I, I, I got a question for Jen. Jen, you said that you had left uh, MMA because of the, you know, family, the money, and, and the whole thing. And your daughters, right? Did you have daughters? I have boys. Oh, boys! Are the boy well? Are the boys interested in fighting? Are the boys interested in fighting? No. Ah, uh, okay. They <laughs> did for a little while, but when your mom does it, it's not cool. When your dad does it, it's cool. But when your mom does it, it's not cool. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I understand. <laughs> I have a fourteen-year-old. Well, my one son turns fourteen on Friday. My other turns sixteen in March, and. They both do jujitsu. My youngest one plays soccer like year round, and um, my oldest is he wrestles, and he wrestles really not to go anywhere with wrestling, but to help his jujitsu. And he wants to just be on the mat with kids his size and stuff. And 
you know, I always ask them, like, do you think you'd ever want to fight? And they're like, no, because, like, we, we put it in their brains early on, like, don't fight. Your dad had to do it. You don't want to do it. But then, like, they'll test it off and every once in a while, I'm like, dad, so, like, mom says we can't fight, but if I'm going to fight, would you train me? I'm like, no. Like, yeah, you would. I'm like, you're right, because I'm not going to let anyone else control of it, but you're not fighting. And they're like, but maybe I will. I'm like, you're not fighting. There's nowhere to, if you ever want to do a bucket list fight, you're going to have to be well into your 20s so your mom can't, like, shut your life off. And then maybe we'll do it. But yeah, yeah. There's mm-hmm. gonna be. Uh, I'm interested, right? Like, if you watch like Chris Brennan's son, like he's being extremely successful right now. Yes. Like, there's going to be a wave of second generation yeah. fighters. I think that's gonna come, and it's gonna no be doubt. really interesting to see. You know what guys do, and you know, are they the improved model of their dad and stuff like that? So, uh, um, you know, I've seen something that's just awesome, right? It's like. You know, a father says to his son, like, you're the only man that I want to actually be better than me. You know, and I, I truly father that way. You know, yeah. everything I do is, is to have them level up and surpass me. And, you know, I tried to cast a big shadow for them. I still do. You know, so they know they got to they gotta even stand taller than me to try to hit that sunlight. You know, so uh, um, so it, it, it'll be interesting where that, that goes. But, um, you know, my oldest son, he is... Uh, um, He's very interesting in pursuing uh, um, a, a career in, in wrestling in college. Uh, uh, he was the first uh, the first kid in Louisiana to get an NIL deal uh, over the Manning uh, boy, who's a quarterback down here and stuff. So, and will probably be the first four timer uh, ever in Louisiana ever to go undefeated his whole high school career. So he did that his freshman year. Uh, this year looks no different. He has like an 87% pin ratio. Um, so uh, we got a few more big matches to go, but I feel like if he gets out of this year, uh, um, you know, he'll set some some state records that have never been done. So it'll be exciting. So, so Chris Brennan, Chris Brennan's got a son that's in college right now. I think he made All American. I think he qualified, and he's got an LFA deal before he's even got a first fight. And Brennan even said, as good as Lucas is in Bellator. He's like, like Lucas is like a scientist. He's like the kid that likes to break shit. Is actually the one that's in college. That's Tyler. So yeah, Brennan's, the, the younger the younger son's always better. It's just how it rolls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a as you guys are pointing out. I, I I know. I think we're we're taking up a lot of time. We may be wrapping up here, but another couple of second gen guys that people want to look at. Joe Jordan has an amazing kid in in college wrestling. It's uh, his son is unbelievable what he's doing. I mean, uh, um, just probably probably the top, the top if not top five prospect in the country actually yeah. right now. And and you know, as a humor point, Joe was once signed to Monty. So if he signed the same Monty contract everyone else is used to, Monty may actually own that first child. <laughs> yeah, I. I Luckily, me and Monty were just on a handshake, so none of that existed. <laughs> I might own them, but I didn't conceive them. <laughs> that you we know. know. <laughs> you know, I get, uh, uh, it's a funny story. I gave Barrick a contract when he was 10. <laughs> That's Jordan's son. Yeah, I believe yeah, that. <laughs> I did. I really did. We did it. We made a whole... Joe, Joe kind of... Wanted me to do it, and so I, I made the whole thing up and took it to him. And and at that time, I had no idea he was going to be 
what he's become. I mean, he's. Man, you better really, go through your files. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I can do one for ten years though. <laughs> but maybe in Iowa. It's at his zero. But it is. It's the the. The, the interesting thing with Joe is how he's, I mean, they're, they were, uh, they just keep moving to, to, from state to state, every bigger opportunity, you know, and now they're in Oklahoma and it, uh, I know he's, he, he, you know, hey, you can't argue with, with the, how it's working, but it's, kinda, it's certainly different to grow up with your normal team and being a four-time state champ or whatever. He'll be a four-time state champ, but in four different states. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Wow. Well, can I say goodnight to everybody? Jeff. Yes. Yes, yes, sir. Absolutely, brother. It's getting late. Yes, sir. Yeah. We're, we're going to wrap up with everybody. Jeff, uh, a pleasure to talk to you again after all these, these years. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. We're going to try to get you on for uh, you know, a long, uh, alone for a deep dive, Rich has already done his deep dive, and uh, you know, we, a pleasure always to catch up with him. And Jen, what can I say? Uh, thank you very much. Just a, a pioneer, and, and we definitely want to catch up with you again as well. So, Monty, thank you very much. Our first reunion here at the Lights Out Podcast is in the books, guys. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Great to see all you guys, baby. Thank you. Nice to see you, Jeff and Rich, and of course, Monty and Miguel. Of course. Check out the full interview on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms.